Darren Ryder, back again. What's up, buddy? How was your weekend? It's long, and it was uh, expensive. How about you? Uh, long and not so expensive. I got. I would. I would have preferred that my weekend was not expensive. But no, like uh, we. I, it was one of those things where a fair amount of people tried to call me this weekend, just randomly, and none of them got. I didn't get back to any of them. I was just so damn busy that like we had girls basketball on Saturday. Um, uh, Sunday, I got my first uh, hibachi experience in in about 25 years for my nephew's birthday. Oh, good for you. That was uh, long and expensive, uh, although I did look like the hillbilly of the family bringing in two cocktails as we were sitting down. <laughs> and I, I I, was like, oh, yeah, it's for me and Vanessa. We all knew the truth. You're just doing a little double fisting. And then yesterday was the, uh, the daddy-daughter uh, date day because Ness actually had to work. And so... Barnes and Noble, Bob's, bowling, all the bees yesterday, and uh, yeah, so the it was bees, a lot of fun. The bees were killer on the wallet. They were, man. All the bees were killer. The bees usually do kill the wallet, though, in my experience. But uh, no, it's great though. And here's the here's the best part. Can we just be real honest here? I'd like to say, uh, good job. You, you finished the Daytona 500. You got that. Uh, hey, NBA All Star Weekend. I watched about. I watched the Donovan Mitchell three-point. Oh, I watched the three-point contest. I watched Steph and Sabrina. Checked out for the rest of the weekend. And the only thing I know about the uh, the Daytona 500 is there was one of the coolest-looking wrecks. I know it's not cool when it happens because you're worried about people's health. One of the most interesting things about that sport remains the big car wrecks. I'm, so, I'm sorry to be that guy, but, like, if you don't have a car accident or, like, a big wreck, I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm here to tell you you missed nothing, and it was everything you thought it could be. And everything it will never be, I think, is the reality. <laughs> now we're actually we're we're not going to do the the uh, the start the show with the NBA All Star festivities. We're not going to do that. And here's why: it was a snooze fest. Um, it always is though. But here's why: we're not. This is like a two second. We'll get back to it later. They can't get dudes to play defense in like a one versus two seed in January. <laughs> You're not getting them to suddenly try hard in the postseason. Like I love this idea. Every year we did this is this I called it NBA Groundhog Day uh, today on social media because that's what it is. Everybody goes, we got to do something about this All Star game, and everybody has these really creative ideas, and then nothing changes. And now it's like, well, Adam Silver is mad. Does not matter. Does not matter whatsoever. Now I will tell you, I think I went into the three point competition with Donovan the perfect expectations. Because I had none. I'm like, he's look at the guys he's going up against. Like, Donovan's a good three-point shooter. And Donovan, I, I think, has got to the point where you can argue he's underrated as a three-point shooter. Look at the other guys that were on the court. Look at the, look at the guys who are who are habitual 38%, 40, you know, 39, 40, 41, 42% right. three-point shooting. Like, I went into that thinking, it'd be nice if he had, like, an exciting first round and we'll talk after that. And that's effectively what happened. So I thought it was I, – I always think it's weird when people are like, well, you didn't do anything in that, but, hey, you still competed. It's like, guys, we're not giving out participation trophies for a three-point competition. It was fun. He was in it. Somebody can't advance to the second and third rounds. We're okay. Like – yeah, it was cool, man. And he wore uh he he uh he did the homage to Sam Merrill, which I thought was a lot of fun. Like it doesn't have to be more than that. I ah, represented Cleveland strongly. I, he showed up. Yeah, he showed, he shot a bunch of threes. Yeah. It was fun. He did That's, his job. Uh, what more did you want from that? He did his job. What uh, yeah. 
I mean, it would have been nice. It would would have been nice to see him advance. But you know, I think he had twenty one points. So I was like, yeah, that's not going to get it done. Yeah, well, especially who? Uh, gosh, who went first? Now I'm gonna. Now you can see where my mind was this weekend. But he got like twenty eight, and it was all off that final rack. And it was like, oh, if 28's, if 28's where we're starting, this is going to be a little tough for Donovan. I just love the idea, though, that like four years from now, we're going to be like, hey, remember Donovan in the first round? Three-point competition? Man, that was special. He he really, he he shot the ball. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be uh, telling the, the grandkids about Donovan Mitchell's three-point shootout experience on the uh, state-of-the-art floor in Indianapolis. Yeah, the floor the funny thing was That might have been the coolest thing that happened in All Star Weekend. The fact that they actually did the Saturday night activities, which by the way were completely horrible. Yeah. Um on an LED court, mm-hmm. which I thought was just amazing from because I'm a technology geek. I'm sure you know this about me. Yeah, I heard a pre show with you and Mac talking about control alt delete or something like that. <laughs> Control C, Control yeah. V. Ah, what's this thing called? Copy and paste. Let me hear about it, folks. <laughs> True story. I actually had to teach my mom how to copy and paste, and you thought I was trying to teach her algebra or something. It was painful. I we could we could go down a full road in, in embarrassing parents on oh. this, but I'm simply going to try and save the good grace going forward because I know we're about five years. You still have from my daughters <laughs> having to explain things to me. So I'm actually I'm gonna try and you I'm gonna I'm gonna try and you're gonna build up the keep good karma. some goodwill, some good karma as it were, in the hopes that it pays dividends in five years when they're like, God, dad's an idiot. Like he used to be the guy that set all this up. What is his problem? But uh, yeah, you are a, you are tech. No, you know my favorite thing about the LED court was it wasn't just kind of moment to moment. It was uh, Sabrina and Steph the over like almost like the half court shot from behind when they would kind of pan back to that. I saw it a lot on the um, on the social media clips where it was just a different view of it, and it was honestly it was it felt like it was a mile away, but you just really got a sense of the distance on yeah. those longer threes. That was really cool. Yeah. Or were they uh, 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 traced where guys were running, like during the skills competition? Yeah, that was the only thing worth watching during the skills competition was the little uh, streamers or whatever uh, pixels that they did mm-hmm. on the floor. But yeah, that was that was pretty cool technology. Probably coming to an NBA arena near you at some point yeah, in like, the next five years. Talk about undersell. We they had that whole NBA, uh, sorry, NBAI thing on Friday. Oh, look at how cool this is. You can have an NBA game set to the theme of Spider-Man. And I'm like, that does nothing for me. If I want to go see Spider-Man, I'll go see Spider-Man. Right. But like this, they completely undersold this. Where was where was it's, the 30-minute presentation by Adam Silver on the I mean, LED yeah. courts and what it could mean for the NBA? It, it's the Lakers and Celtics, Goodfellas style. Like, I, okay, that actually isn't a terrible because the mob, well, you know, mob Boston and Goodfellas is awesome. I want the I want the slow panning though. And like and, as and long the, as I and can the remember, object was basically to kill fools. But it's LeBron. Right. As long as I can remember, I wanted to be an LA Laker. And then it just <sighs> right into the five minute montage. Ah, there's A D. There's uh there's Rui. There's uh Gimpy Joe. Like when you start getting all the nicknames in there, now you're into it. Yeah, if you just say, Oh, I want to watch a Transformers movie starring the Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> uh, no, that sucks. That's awful. If you give me like a throwback. Like the uh, the quick and the dead, you mean quick and the dead, but it's with like the San Antonio Spurs because Wemby would be a badass cowboy, like seven foot five, and he's also real thin. With, good luck, good luck shooting that with that desert whistle instrumental. Oh yeah, 
You know yeah. what I'm referring even, to, right? I'll even take a Back to the Future 3 for the uh, San Antonio Spurs. Hey, when this thing hits 88 miles per hour, we're going to see some serious stuff. Stuff. Marty! It's Wemby, Marty! He's seven foot five and he's French, Marty! We got to see him, Marty! So what else happened this week? Oh, uh, Peter King, who's going to be joining us at four, seems pretty confident in his Cleveland Browns, Philadelphia Eagles leading off the season in Brazil on Friday night. He, we're going to have him see what maybe has stoked that confidence, but yeah, it looks like that could be, that that is assumed to be the thing where the Browns are starting the season. Well, and as soon as it came out that the Eagles were going to be the home team for the Brazil game, like that was one of the first things that came to mind. Good news for the Browns, they don't have to, they wouldn't have to travel to Philadelphia and deal with a Philadelphia Eagle fan. Uh, bad news, they oh. then have to travel 10, 10 hours south to Brazil to uh, to face the Eagles. I just realized I want to see all the Eagles fans in Brazil. Brazil is such a happy place. It's like I mean, if you've if you've never been there, like it's so vibrant. It's such like uh, it's just the musicality of a city, or not just a city, but of a country. Like, and then you have just the most miserable, drunken, fist fighty bastards on the planet. Browns oh, and Eagles fans. Great. My God. Well, no, no, no. I think Browns fans are going to be the super chill ones. Yeah. I think Browns fans are going to be the ones like, oh, Carnival. Yeah. The <laughs> Eagles fans are like, well, does that mean uh, there's something about me as a man? What are you talking about? Let's show you how we do the muni line. I, I just realized I don't have a Philadelphia. <laughs> I got a Boston. I got a New York. I do not have a Philadelphia. I got to sharpen up on that one. Um, I, You know, it's funny because I have just poo-pooed all over the the international games NFL international yeah I just I'll be honest with you I oh they're in Tottenham ooh they're in Munich you, you, I, I was gonna say you didn't enjoy the trip to Germany this past year no I mean Germans like Germany I think that's enough for for Germany I like their beer I like their schnitzel about anything past that I'm, I'm kind of a and Germany yeah take it or leave it now that being said the first game in Brazil that's cool. Because Brazil is unlike anything you're going to see in Europe. And I like all due respect to the English soccer culture and, you know, European soccer culture. Or as they call it, football. Football. The best vibes in like actual soccer is in South America or are in Spain. I will say the one thing that's most entertaining to watch about the European NFL games is they get more excited for the field goals than the touchdowns. Yeah. See? Dustin Hopkins, this is your Super Bowl. <laughs> you, maybe should we, maybe, uh, should we bring back Cade York? Right? Should we Should we maybe bring him back, do two kickers for one week, just so Cade can have like a moment uh, it's, as, as, as a Brown? It, it, it's over the bar and through the pipes. Yeah. Okay, so that's no to him coming back? All right, that probably <laughs> does make sense there. But no, I, I like I'll be honest with you. I have no interest in other international games. Maybe it's because it's the first one. Maybe it's because I'm waiting for Brazil. him to do a Japan game. Ah, uh, why? Well, I mean, Major League Baseball's tapped the the Japanese market, and I think that that would be an interesting, unique experience for Did the NFL. Did you just one up me? Because I was all like, yeah, Brazil, that's a fun, and then you just went to one that they haven't done yet. Yeah. Okay. That's how the show's going to go today. I like to think of this next conversation we're about to have as the NBA All-Star Weekend of sports topics because it is much talked about, it is much ballyhooed, and in the end, the salary cap is not real. But... (laughs) 
that's what you think. I know. Here's the thing. You're about to put forth a really – so the NFL salary cap is is uh, going to increase uh, reportedly up to $250 million. That's a $26 million hike. And Andrew Barry right now is doing cartwheels in his office. And so there's a very, very valid reason why this is good for the Cleveland Browns because of some of the flexibility that it offers up. And you're about to offer up a great take on it. And I'm just going to sit here and chill and just enjoy. <laughs> and laugh at me. Let, you know what? Let's see how this plays out. But why is this a good thing for the Cleveland well, Browns? Well, look, um, you know, we've already had the debate about what should the Browns do with Deshaun Watson's contract this year. Uh, you know, obviously a $46 million a year. His cap figure this year is $63 million and change. Do you uh, stand pat? Do you restructure? Roll the forty-six into a uh, – uh, from a salary into a signing bonus, throw another voidable year on the back end of the thing to lower his cap figure, stretch this whole uh, salary cap charge, if you will, out. And if if this is true, what what is out there, that the cap is going to go up by uh, another $8 million, which was not anticipated in the original calculations, then... So the look, original calculation is supposed to be like 242, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Ballpark 242, now we're looking possibly up to 250. And my thing is, look, um, I am not a fan of restructuring Deshaun unless it's absolutely necessary to bring in uh, any and all pieces possible to help this team get over the top, mm-hmm. what you and I uh, have talked about I- in the past. Otherwise, if you can get away with not doing it, I say get away with it and don't do it. Mm-hmm. Take the $63 million cap hit this year, and then when you go into future years and you want to do the restructure thing, or hopefully he plays well enough to merit a contract extension, then you can you know do some more salary cap gymnastics. But we saw this last year. The Browns are going to carry about $31 million and change in unused salary cap space from fiscal year 2023 into fiscal year 2024 for cap computation purposes. So when the new league year begins, the Browns have to be in line under the 2024 salary cap. So that's, you know, 4 p.m. was it March 13th or whenever free agency begins. That's that's when they have to be there under the cap. So we're going to see in the coming weeks, we'll see some restructures. You know, we saw it last year. They restructured Miles Garrett. They did Joel Batonio. Uh, they did. De- um, I think they did Denzel Ward last year too. They just where they just basically take salary, convert it to the signing bonus. Sometimes they slap voidable years on the back end. Sometimes they don't, and that lowers and, and create lowers their cap obligation for their charge for that particular year, and and opens up space. And this is a year where the Browns need to roll over that type of space so they can get under the cap. You know, they can still keep doing this restructure thing. Uh, with other contracts, and it's not a problem. It, it's the stroke of a pen. The New Orleans Saints did this for years with Drew Brees. They're still like, doing it. Yeah. Every offseason, they would go in $45 million over the salary cap, and within 30 minutes, boom, they have $25 million in room to work with. Uh, just, you know, a couple of strokes of the pen. Because there's boilerplate language built in to many of these contracts to where the player doesn't even the, the player has already agreed to the restructure of contract when he signed the original deal because there's boilerplate language usually built into the contract that say hey club retains the right to convert your salary into signing bonus for salary cap computation purposes and the players don't care because they get the check 
when it when it gets converted to signing bonus, we'll use Deshaun as the example. When they did Deshaun's last year, they took the veteran minimum, and I realize this is getting into the minutia, but just trying to explain to folks how this works. Can we get a little uh, careless whisper behind this? <laughs> uh, can we, or maybe just some like just some smooth jazz here. <laughs> Give it a second. Let, let it breathe. We're getting okay. into the minutiae. If we get into the okay. minutiae, you know I like to get a little randy myself here. All right, you ready? All right. I'm ready. Back, ready. Oh, this is good. Yeah. All right, now little, now, now give it to me slow. little mood music. So, like, with Deshaun Watson. All right, but don't do that voice because that's uh, very, very creepy. <laughs> that was the point, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it is. <laughs> Congratulations on getting the bit. Is that the voice you use from the bushes? Is that- <laughs> no, no, that's the voice Mac uses from the bushes. Ooh, um, so- ooh, we deflected it. <laughs> so Mac's got the nicest camera for it too. Uh, I know, and 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 the perfect Amish beard too. Uh, I digress. So you know, with Deshaun last year, forty six million, they take the veteran minimum, which is like one point five something like that. You deduct that from the the forty six. I don't know what this is, but it's, it's careless so, whisper. It's so bad. It's Just good. go with it. Uh, uh, and and then the rest of what's left over, so that one and a half or whatever, that veteran minimum is what he's paid over the thirty-eight weeks during the season pay scale. Mm-hmm. The forty-four and change. I'm listening. I know. I'm really trying to get through this. So the forty-four and change that's left over gets goes into a signing bonus, and the team just cuts the check mm-hmm. for forty-four million dollars. Cuts that check. So the player doesn't care. He still gets to pay. Same amount of money, okay? Um, it's just a manner of which of how he's getting paid. And- Don't worry about the look I'm giving Just keep you. swinging the hips. Yeah, come on. This is baby-making music right here. <laughs> so that's basically what the whole kicking the can down the road with the, the salary cap and opening up space by converting salaries into signing bonus and stretching it out over the length of the deal, which is where the voidable years come into play. Now, what happens is, depending on the number of voidable years, it just keeps getting funnier. I've never heard it better. I mean, this is the most interested I've been in the NFL salary cap ever in my life. Like, God, if they only done this with chemistry in high school, I might not have to resort to being on radio to feed my family. Ah, So what happens is when Deshaun's five-year contract comes due Tell right he's in, he's in that final year the voidable years going mm. into the next year that becomes that spread out cap charge whether it's one two three four whatever it is doesn't matter okay? how many it becomes one bulk Ooh. cap charge at once at once it's a mighty big cap charge there it could be depending how many voidable years you throw in there oh so that's why you saw the headlines yesterday, like Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, and all that. They didn't no. they didn't get their contracts extended. Got all those voidable years. All at once. All those cap charges come due. Two Boku, some might say. Time to pay the piper. So yes, the salary cap is a uh, manipulative uh or manipulable myth, but you know, I'm not even important. paying attention to the words you're using. Yeah. Just, I know. Just I'm just lost in your eyes over here. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm seeing the Daryl magic. <laughs> uh, oh, who's the who's the Browns cap guy? Go, Mitchell. We're gonna help him out right now. 
If you, a Browns cap guy who shall remain nameless, you throw a little careless whisper under your presentation, people aren't going to be staring off into the, the distance. The, the Haslam's will just hand you the checkbook. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy's going to get a little, Jimmy's going to pour a cocktail out, going to get a smoking jacket on. Uh, you need 44 to give to Sean right now. Here you go. It's going to be like vintage 1984 Jimmy Haslam all over again. Do we make it out to cash or to Sean? Uh, uh, they pass, folks. <laughs> That's the last time I try and have a serious conversation. Well, with no, you. I just, I, 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 I you just, were, you were, you were just, it was flowing. Like, I just, you know, I mean, it's. You say it doesn't matter. You say it's fiction. It, it does matter, but it, there are ways to manipulate it. Who does it matter? Who does it matter to? Uh, it matters to the league office because if you're not in compliance with the cap, you can't do anything in free I, agency. I'll tell you who it matters to: the Spanos family. The cheap-ass owners in the NFL. That's who it matters to. You mean the Brown to, family? No, 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 no. Them too. Yeah, yeah, of course. The Bidwells. The Bidwells, the second careless whisperer hit, they they checked out. They're like, no, this doesn't do it for me. This whole moving money around. No, I like as many of the ducats to be mine. I don't want to have I to just, I, I don't want to have to pay until I actually have to pay. Yeah. Like I What's this it, nonsense that I have to Write a check for $40 million in the offseason for a signing bonus. So it's not that the salary cap doesn't matter. I just don't think it matters to the Browns. No, it doesn't like, matter and, to the Browns. And, like, specific to your point, like, oh, do I care if they do or don't move the money around this year or not? Not really. Because the reality is it's just one year. So, yes, yeah, $65 million is a butt-ton, $65 million over the course of 10 years, which is, again, their point. We view this as a 10-year endeavor. I don't know, man. Like, I just... I, I listen. I think the I think the reason why it's the best for the Browns is it opens up maximum flexibility for you to do as much as you want or as little as you want. The Browns but, have the ultimate advantage. Yes, they have owners that will write check after check after check in an effort to win. Even back in the four and four forty four days where we just you know. It was a knee slapper watching them take the field every week. Yeah, they spent money. They gave Brock Osweiler. They traded for Brock Osweiler and paid sixteen million dollars so they could add a second round pick to the arsenal. Right? But I think that's like the greater it, point here is like so it, if if the contract was either not fully guaranteed, which is another part of this, or if the contract was maybe a three year contract instead of five year contract, which would almost half the kind of window that you're thinking about. I think I'd care more, and it's yeah. not. It's funny. It's like I care, but like. I don't see a huge difference when that when that number does finally come due. If if you get to a point where the salary cap doesn't continue to rise, right? And right now it it feels like it's on the upward, and we'll we'll see when it ever kind of levels off. As long as they keep adding re- revenue streams, and for all the folks that mocked the playoff game on Peacock or the Black Friday game on Amazon Prime, right? For all moving. Um, Sunday ticket from direct TV to YouTube TV. Like for all the people that, you know, work themselves up in, in over all these changing technologies and distribution platforms, it's why the cap keeps going up because it's giving the NFL more and more revenue streams that did not exist. And you have these platforms that have as much money, if not more money than TV networks have to give the NFL. And the TV networks are giving the NFL billions of dollars a year. So if the NFL can sell a playoff game for $150 million 
to be streamed on Peacock and they have, I don't know, I forget what the number was, you know, 50 million or whatever that stream that thing. Um, you know, NBC, Fox, ABC, ESPN, um, CBS, for the money that they spend, of course they're going to push product on people. It's the same thing with why advertisers spent seven plus million dollars on ads for the Super Bowl. It's to reach people because a hundred people are hundred million people are watching that thing. Okay, so of course they're going to push their streaming platforms. NBC will push Peacock. CBS is going to push Paramount Plus. ABC, ESPN is going to push Disney Plus. Like that's where this is all going. Now the commissioner did say, "Hey, n- n- there's no way." that the Super Bowl will ever be a a uh, a streaming exclusive event which obviously is good but like it's the same thing with leagues going to cable off of TV I'm old enough to remember when the Cavaliers and the 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 then Indians were on WUAB channel 43 now we're going to get a couple of Cavalier games sprinkled on channel 43 coming up here uh in the in the coming months but like that's where you used to watch games then cable came along and it became sports channel and then all the other iterations that have since followed that. But it's just part of that evolution of uh, not only distribution platforms, but revenue streams. And as long as that stuff keeps happening and they're able to keep bringing in additional hundreds of millions of dollars above and beyond what they already have aligned for the next decade, cap's going to keep going up. And you're going to not have to worry about your quarterback being paid $50 $50 million a well, year. But I think this all kinds of lead, kind of leads us to the point where I think, you know, for me, when we think about the Deshaun deal and succeeding, I just think about it from on the field stuff because all right. the all the business stuff is phony baloney stuff. Yeah, this and, is the first time the Browns actually have had to pay a quarterback top-tier money. Well, but, like, my point is because of the situation there on the cap – if you had done this a decade ago and it didn't work would out, de- it would have been devastating. And by the way, in the, the cap was still pretty soft 10 years ago. I'm old enough to remember when Art Modell went panhandling to every bank to come up with $17 million to pay Andre Risen. And what a smart decision that turned out to be. Fabulous. But like, Worked out so well. But like, I Teams look at Baltimore. it and I'm like, everyone's going to harp on the $230 million. No, it's, it's the six top 100 picks that you gave. That's the more deadly thing. If it was L.A. with the Spanos family, it'd be completely different. Then it would be, all right, well, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul with Deshaun's contract. But that's why every time somebody comes out of the woodwork to say, ah, Brown's got to get out of this, it's no. the dumbest thing in the world because, one, the salary cap doesn't exist for people like Jimmy Haslam, for people like Jerry Jones, who's right. done this kind of thing, for the for the Saints. I mean, there's like six or seven teams in the NFL that just outspend everybody. Well, look at what happened with the Buccaneers this year, right? The reason they signed Baker Mayfield to that $6 million plus incentive type of a contract was because they had to swallow the cap charge left over from the voidable years that when they had Tom Brady, right? Um, and at some point, that's going to come due. But to you know, from Andrew Berry's perspective, right, he's projecting the cap is going to remain on this trajectory so that when the time comes and let's say it's a 30, just I'm throwing an arbitrary number out there. 
Let's say it's a $35 million dead cap charge for should Deshaun bring, Watson when he's not here. Should we the music? No. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't affect anything negatively. So we're going to bring this back later in the show because there's an angle of the I Deshaun thing. I don't have to explain thing. this again, do I? No, 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 no. no. We we're done want with Careless you Whisper. You're spent. You've, you've got your one good performance in on uh, cap numbers on the show. I, I, need, time to, I, need, to, I need time to Have a recharge. cigarette and maybe, maybe get some electrolytes in your body. You'll be fine. We have not talked a lot about the NBA All-Star Weekend because, quite frankly, everybody and their mother has built their shows. And I I listened to a lot of shows this morning. It was like 50% of a four-hour show on a game that everybody agrees is unredeemable, cannot be redeemed. What can be listened to and reacted to are some of the comments that have come out this weekend. Doc Rivers made a bunch of excuses this weekend and pissed off half the NBA. Um... Adam Silver's own comments on the dais, handing the uh, the award uh, to the winning team. But maybe the most interesting comments came from uh, LeBron James, who talked about whether or not he would like a, a retirement tour or not. I have not mapped out how many seasons I have left. I know it's not that many. I also don't know if I will kind of take the farewell tour or will you kind of just Tim Duncan it. I'm 50-50 because there's times where I feel like I guess I owe it to my fans that's been along this journey with me for two decades plus. That seems cool. But the other side, I've never been that great with accepting praise. it's It's a weird feeling for me. I never really talked about it much, but it's just a weird feeling for me. So, but I I am a Laker, happy and been very happy being a Laker the last six years, and hopefully it stays that way. But I don't have the I don't have the answer to how long it is or which uniform I'll be in. Hopefully it is with the Lakers. It's a great organization and so many greats. But but we'll see. I don't know how it's going to end, but it's coming. He really threads the needle there, and to make sure he gets the Laker melodrama in there with Am I going to do farewell tour or not? And uh, the funniest thing in the, the 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 biggest lie in that whole thing was. I'm not great at accepting praise. Eh, you dubbed yourself the king from a very young age there. Um, I believe it was the Lakers uh, bubble title. I want my damn respect too. It seems as if you've done a pretty good job. You've got the Nike myth-making machine behind you. I love LeBron more than just about anybody. We're both you know, just two kids from Akron. But I'd like in all reality, the biggest lie that man ever told was, oh, I got this... I, when people give me praise, I just can't accept it. Uh, just not used to it. Hasn't been happening since I was 15 years old. You came into the league wearing a chosen one tattoo across your shoulder blades. Well, yeah, but he had a, when that guy was sketching it on, he was like, I don't know about this. Oh, this doesn't feel right. I just... I, I, I That might have been the um, most full of it, 40 seconds of audio I've heard in a long time. First of all, he absolutely knows how long he's going to play. 100%. You can't he, tell me he has not mapped it out to a T other than where he's going to play. Th- that is number one. <clears throat> so we'll just go ahead and cross that off. Secondly, he absolutely wants the, the victory go- goodbye tour. Of course. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I can't wait for him to sign the one-day contract to retire a Cavalier. Mm. You know that's coming. Um <laughs> You, I, the, the praise thing, he always wants his flowers. He always wants his credit. Like, I I mean, he launched, let's be honest about it. He changed the game of basketball at the NBA level professionally Mm -hmm. in, in ways that Michael Jordan didn't in that he changed the business side. Mm -hmm. He, he is, I would say 
one of the founding fathers of the player empowerment movement yeah. where players could dictate not only how long they stay at a particular spot, but once they leave, even when it comes to being traded, took that power away from teams and said, no, you're going, just like the first time you left the Cavaliers, oh, I'm going to go to Miami. You're going to trade me to the Miami Heat yeah. in a sign-in trade. Like, he is the one that kind of really, this transient NBA uh, that we see today, right? I mean, the, the days of Magic Johnson playing 18 seasons with the Los Angeles Lakers, you're not going to see that a- anymore, I don't I'd, think. I'd also say if Magic had been drafted by Milwaukee or Detroit, he probably would not have spent 18 years in L.A. Right. I think I think being in L.A. had something to do with Magic being in L.A., but I, I understand your greater you, point you here. You understand what I'm saying, though. Like it, It's just setting the market thing aside. You know, hate to be back in the old days guy, but th- those days are gone. You're just not going to see a lot of players start and finish their careers with the same teams anymore. I it's think, just it's it's not how it works and it's not just an NBA thing. Same in baseball, same in basketball, same in hockey. It, it's just that's the nature of pro- professional sports. But you know what's funny about it is in the other sports they don't incentivize players to stay in their chosen markets where they're drafted the way the NBA does. Well, that's true. And so like we've you know we've had the Donovan conversation, we had the LeBron conversation, even if he signs an extension I mean, Paul George was one year into an extension in OKC where was he was like, like out of here. yeah, I don't think this is working out. Trade me. And I, you know, I, I think what you said there is really interesting, by the way, about LeBron's legacy. Um, I think from a player perspective, LeBron is always going to be hailed because of the player empowerment movement that he I mean it's every step of the way he's kind of led the way whether it was with his own trajectory and where he played whether it was in some of the decisions internationally whether to play or not whether it was honestly even simple things like um getting every single cent for your appearance at an all-star game and and I I don't know the NBA's ultimately better for it like I do think that's going to age really interesting I think in the end, we're going to say, well, look at the amount of money that he brought to all these other guys by having the leverage and utilizing his leverage and giving people the blueprint to use his leverage. I also think that that is going to muddy the water for some people when they analyze him because it it's going to be the reverse of the Michael. Michael, the perception was, and I want to call it a perception because there's always some mis- mistruth in the way we remember things, but Michael, it's squarely about basketball on-court success he had no interest in helping politically he had no interest in helping his fellow NBA players well that was one of the the criticisms back in I I remember the story uh vaguely where um somebody was I believe it was back in North Carolina an African-American was running for a public office Mm -hmm. and it would have been an, an historic victory and that you know Michael would not publicly endorse uh which Obviously, in today's world, you would you see athletes endorsing, uh, you know, uh, various political figures uh, mm-hmm. in campaigns, and that Michael, uh, that's where the uh, well, Republicans buy sneakers, uh, too, uh, mm-hmm. phrase that he allegedly said came from was that that he would he would not even though this gentleman was running for office and it would have been uh, an historic achievement had he won that election. Michael did not want to endorse because of his public image, and he had that in his head. That's why he always, uh, anytime you saw Michael out in public, he was in a three-piece suit. 
And in his thing was, I never know. That might be the only time that particular person ever sees me. And so I want to make sure that I project the proper outward appearance. But when it comes to LeBron and a retirement tour, I don't think anybody in the world believes that guy's going off the sweet by and by without the LeBron retirement tour. He wants to own a team in Vegas. Come on. Well, I mean, I think that's going to be – like I. It's funny. I think LeBron could get the single greatest retirement gift ever, which is basically at the end, David or <laughs> David Silver, uh, Adam Silver saying, "I respect you so much for what you've done. Here's your We're going to make you the Vegas. face of either Vegas or or Seattle." Well, uh, I don't know who'll get to call it like with Vegas. I don't know he'll be able to say where he gets it, but I think he will. He, I I no. I he's going to put that ownership group together post playing career. He's getting his team in Vegas. It's a matter of. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. One of the more interesting stories that's come out about the Combine, if you guys remember last year, C.J. Stroud's uh, scores on some of his cognitive testing were leaked, and it was a pretty transparent attempt by somebody in the NFL to paint C.J. in a specific light, and this is pretty much common practice, leaking these kind of tech scores, or test scores, excuse me, so they can help maybe a prospect fall or dislodge a prospect to help them fall to a specific team in the NFL draft. And it's dirty business. And now, Athlete First, that's uh, David Malagueta's agency, has uh, sent out a memo um, suggesting that his athletes or that in, in kind of making sure that his prospects going into this year's draft don't actually participate in cognitive testing, and it's pretty much directly tied to this. Go ahead and talk about this. We're actually going to bring on the writer who can speak a little bit more eloquently than I can uh, of the athletic. Uh, Kalen Kaler on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. Kalen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, doing very well. Really interesting piece, by the way, on what Athletes First is trying to do here. So yeah. just to kind of, because I kind of clumsily put that in there, is this solely related to the C.J. Stroud incident last year? Or like the wonder lick of old, has this kind of been a slow build of frustration from the agency side? I think it's a slow build, but um, I think it's the reason for the timing of this season is because of C.J. Stroud. Um, they didn't mention specifically in the email that it was C.J. Stroud. Um, they didn't mention him by name, but knowing that they represent him, as you mentioned, David Mulligetta, uh, represents CJ Stroud, just knowing that and knowing, you know, the damage to CJ's reputation um, that happened before the draft last year, it's really, uh, you know, it makes sense to make the leap that this is why. Um, and, you know, they, they specifically say in the email, they said, you know, we understand many of your teams use these tests or protocols as part of the evaluation process. However, our recent experience with these exams has been less than positive specifically the fact that certain results and performance were leaked publicly last year demonstrates that there truly is no confidentiality with these tests. It's not right for a player's intelligence, aptitude, or mental processing to be subject to public discussion and ridicule. So, you know, by mentioning last year, it's clear that this is about C.J. Stroud. And, I mean, C.J., his NFL career clearly did not take a hit from this. He went second overall. He became the rookie of the year. Offensive Rookie of the Year, he took the Texans shockingly into the playoffs, as you guys know, as uh, Browns fans over there. Um, you know, so his his actual career didn't suffer from this, but he was subject to a lot of questions about his intelligence in the pre-draft process after these scores were leaked. And their issue is that there is no 
there's no guarantee that these scores can remain confidential. And as a result, players are, you know, kind of routinely embarrassed by their scores being aired. What's the uh, response been on the uh, team or league side to that uh, memo from athletes first uh, telling their players not to participate in the cognitive testing? Yeah, I mean, a couple, uh, you know, execs from clubs that I talked to said it was interesting to them because they wanted to see if this would be a trend, um, if other agencies would follow suit. Um, And something else to note here is that, you know, while this is the agency's stance, um, players are still, you know, operating under their own free will. So if an athlete's first player decided, you know, it was in their best interest, they want to take the test, they can still take it, right? Like they're still independent people. Their agents are advising them not to, but it doesn't mean that this is truly a blanket ban where none of these guys are taking the test. So I think in practice, some of these athletes' first clients this year are still taking these exams, but their stance as an agency is not to. And so for the team side, you know, different teams subscribe to different tests. There's about three or four of them that are the most popular. You know, S2 is one of them. There's one called AIQ. There's another one called HRT. There's obviously the Wonderlic, which is the OG of these tests. And so, you know, there's a whole different assortment. And then some teams have their own tests that they put prospects under. So, you know, there's a whole variety of these things and they're all slightly different and they're measuring different things and, and no one really knows how accurate or efficient any of these are at measuring your success, your future success as a football player, as an NFL player. So I think like for, for teams, it's kind of like a wait and see, you know, because if, if none of the players are going to take these tests anymore, then they don't have to pay money to these testing companies to buy their product. So I think it just depends on in practice, how many players are going to join suit. And we saw over the weekend, Drew Rosenhaus, who um, is also a big-time agent, has a big agency, His he said that he had the same direction, direction to his clients. So that makes two agencies that are having this philosophy about cognitive tests. So it'll be interesting to see how many more follow suit and if it's enough to like put these places out of business. Kalen Kaler on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Is the league itself actually paying any attention to this, or is this kind of a squabble between two parties that the, the league itself doesn't really care about? Um, I think I, I didn't actually talk to anyone yet within the NFL office about this. I think they would care because, you know, the, actually the league office developed their own um, player assessment test. It's literally, I think, the acronym um, the PAT is what the league administers. So there's another test in the mix that is measuring player aptitude. Um, and so I think, and I think the reason that they designed their own is because they didn't like the other ones. So I do think that the league will care about this because, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not really, I mean, S2 didn't look good when that score was leaked. Um, obviously CJ Stroud didn't look good. I don't think the NFL as a, you know, entity likes, you know, having their player scores leaked in that way. Um, So I do think that the league will care about this. I don't know exactly, you know, if they're going to have an active response or anything, but I do think that this is something they're going to be paying attention to for sure. And I think the players union as well, because any issue that involves kind of players rights and player privacy is important to them. And I would, I would assume I haven't talked to them directly about this story either, but I would assume that this would be something that they're going to pay close attention to. 
you know, there, there have been recent questions uh, about just the necessity of having uh, a, a combine today. Are agents starting to feel like maybe the combine is becoming more of an event, not so much for, you know, medical clearances and background checks and things like that, but, you know, just an excuse for teams to find other ways and reasons to not draft their players? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more of a concern of, like, this isn't necessary just because – and what's really interesting, this is kind of a tangent, but what's really interesting is the Big 12 this year is basically having their own combine. So it used to be that every school would do their own pro day, or the big schools would all have their own pro day. And if you went to a small school, you could just go to a bigger school's pro day. But right now, um, new this year, the Big 12 is doing like a three-day almost Big 12 combine where all of those schools – all of those prospects will be going, I can't remember where it's at, but they're going to be going to the same location and all doing their pro days, like within three days of each other. So instead of each school having their own separate one, they're combining. And so I think like if, if that model were to happen, then that sort of eliminates the need for like one big combine. Um, I don't know. There's a whole debate to be had on whether it's actually productive or not. And it's definitely productive from a, free agency networking standpoint because I mean Albert Breer reported earlier this week that the Bears are going to know what they want to do with Justin Fields by the end of the combine because they're going to be having those conversations with what is his trade value you know what do we think about the quarterbacks by then and so I do think the combine still has a lot of value but I think like it can feel a lot like a dog and pony show and it can feel a lot like okay why are we putting the players through all of this when, you know, the 2021 season happened where there was no combine and like everything was fine. Um, So, and actually another tangent is I would love to go back and look at that draft class and see the 2021 class where, you know, scouts weren't able to be in person as much at schools, where there was no combine, where there were no pro days in person. I'd love to see how the, you know, how many players from that class are getting second contracts or, how many played, you know, what's the measurement of success there? I don't even know. I, I think it would be a very hard thing to measure and determine, but it would be interesting to see how the COVID year where things were limited, how did it affect player evaluation? Because I think there's some old school scouts who will tell you that all of these things are necessary. You've got to see them in person. You have to show up to the games. You've got to do all these things. And there's other sort of newer school scouts that will tell you, yeah, I mean, you need to interview them, but like you can get most of this from just watching film. So, yeah, there's always going to be a debate on how useful the combine really is. All right, you stepped in it there. You mentioned Justin Fields' name. He no longer yeah. follows the Bears on social media. We know what this means. So and that, I just need you to stake your claim. You need to put your uh, your foot in the yeah. sand here and let everybody know your allegiance. Are you keep Fields or are you take a quarterback at one for the Bears? I'm actually kind of in the camp of doing both. So, um with a caveat, like I, if you can get good value for fields right now that you think is, is worth it. And that might be like a conditional pick, right? Like it might depend on how he's going to play next year. I do think teams should utilize conditional uh, picks and trades a lot more than they do. Um, so I think if they can get what they think is fair value and like a good market for Justin Fields, which obviously is going to mean multiple teams want him so you can play them off each other, then I think they should trade fields. But if if that's not happening 
and they're not satisfied with that, you know, they do have leverage where they can just be like, well, we're keeping Justin, you know, we're fine keeping Justin. And in that case, I would also draft Caleb Williams. And I would say to Justin, this is a very delicate situation, but I would say to Justin, hey, you are going to be a free agent next year. This is your season to show off, like do your thing and you'll make a lot of money next year. Meanwhile, you have Caleb in the building. You give him sort of the Patrick Mahomes season to learn, to figure it out. And then next year will be his big year to start. And he has, you know, a year to learn, a year to grow um, and see what happens. That's how I would do it. But I know that there's probably a lot of flaws to that because, um, you know, you're dealing with egos, you're dealing with different personalities and things like that. So, I don't know. I doubt that's what they're going to do, but that is an idea that I've kind of warmed up to. Kalen, great stuff on the athletes first uh, story there. That was really good stuff. And then uh, you might have just changed my mind on the fields thing. And so, I, and I'm a stubborn person, so I give you uh, extra <laughs> yeah. kudos on that. But we appreciate your time. Thanks so much, guys. Kalen Kaler there on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Find your work on the athletic. Uh, great stuff on that that scouting combine. The scouting combine's not different, and it's been interesting to see the last five to ten years how things like cognitive testing of these players, which honestly, it's the one thing I wouldn't mess with with if I was a team because that can tell you about a uh, cerebrally about a kid as much as any of the physical testing can. I just I'm I'm still at a loss that that ten years after the first. Uh, not the first time, but one of the greatest times of weaponizing a Wonderlick score, which was uh, Jameis Winston. I'm still, I'm befuddled by the fact 10 years later, we're having the same fight about different, basically different kind of tests, both cognitive, but you know, now it's the S2. Now it's that instead of the Wonderlick. Yeah. It was always interesting to me how there were just certain quarterback prospects, how their low Wonderlick test scores would always make their way to Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport's phones. And other quarterbacks' Wonderlick tests were the great mystery of the world. And, um, there, yeah, there's a lot of dirty pool that goes, because it's a, it's a high, you have 32 franchises competing against each other mm-hmm. for players. Um, there is a place for cognitive testing, 100%, and especially for quarterbacks. Yeah. Because there's so much that they have to be able to absorb and regurgitate and read and react to. But where it gets out of hand is like what you said, when it's when the results of said tests are Are weaponized weaponized against those kids. That to me is wrong. You know, those are the you know, it should be like certain medical records, right? I mean if a guy has a you know, previous shoulder, you'll see that come out in the combine. Oh, the medical testing is revealed so-and-so had a previously unreported shoulder injury or something like that, right? That's one thing, but like... That's still not great, by the way. No, it's it's not, but, you know, when you're using a player's test results against them, right? I mean, if the guy runs a slow 40, that that that's public domain. We're all watching the 40-yard yeah. dash, okay? Guy's carrying, you know, two trunks of stuff on his back as he's trying to run the 40. Stuff happens, right? Okay, that's going to get talked about. But something that's supposed to be private and uh, and and the And there there are non-disclosure the on both sides of the, the right. thing about don't disclose this. Right. And and there is an expectation of privacy from the prospects 
perspective as well. Mm-hmm. But what you'll have is so a, a team might have their eye on a guy, and so they will leak to the media all the bad things because they're not in position to get the guy if the stock stays up. They need that stock to drop so that player can fall in their lap. So the C.J. Stroud thing was different because it was to a guy that was a uh, NFL writer but had spent most of his career in Milwaukee. Uh, Bob Bob McGinn, I believe was his name. I want to say McGuinn, but that's not his name. Bob McGinn, who is no longer working for The Athletic, by the way. But most of the time, the thing that pisses me off is is that, that Schefter and Rappaport play in that in those waters. Well, they, 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 they don't need that to help their relationship with teams or or with agents, and so when they do it, like I like if it's if it's random, you know, guy that's trying to come up as an NFL writer, I don't love it, but I'm like, okay, yeah, I see what the person the person's trying to play the game. I do not understand Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter with as many connections with as many. Um, with as many special favors as they could call in, I do not understand them engaging in those waters. That's what I think is dirty. Yeah, and and it and there is you know a certain game that the the insiders play as far as exchanging information with you know trading information, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to get information. I mean the 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 f- famous piece that was done on Schefter, and that was a big part of that story where it got talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, as part of the job, if you will. Uh, and then the the gifts to sources too, like yeah. must must be good to make that kind of money to be able to have a not, not just you, send him a Christmas well, card, but send him a gift. But you and I, we don't have to get too specific to the names. You right. and I, you've been to the combine a bunch of times. I've seen I mean, some stuff happen at the well, combine. Well, and you and I, I remember walking into was it wasn't Stake Forty Eight, what it Prime 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 on the corner the in Indy, and you yeah. walk in, and this reporter's got this table, and this reporter's behind this curtain where there's a private dining atmosphere with yeah. these. And so you start to see how this thing works. And listen, like that's meat market stuff. And, I do and, understand and, it's... And, and meanwhile, Jerry Jones' bus is parked on the street. Yes. <laughs> so like, I, I do understand some of this is, but I think a lot of this is just on, like I, I think this is where things like journalistic integrity matter. Yeah. And I just, I, to me, like I look at Schefter and I look at um, Rap and I say, you should be above this because you are intentionally... By may, by hitting send on whatever text you got from somebody, you're you're participating in the and, and tearing yeah. down some young kid's career without the context of what happened. Like and uh, you don't like suffer CJ, any consequences for doing it. Yeah, it was like an eighteen out of fifty or eighteen out of a hundred. I'm I'm gonna but for CJ Stroud's, right. well, I think it was his S two last year. That has no context with why, how, like all the things that actually matter that might give you context to how teams think it, about it's it. It's just put it's just put out there in the public domain like it's a forty yard dash or a or a, yes. a, a shuttle test time. Yes, and then the, that same person goes, "Well, I don't know why anybody's mad at me." Uh, yeah, you should have some integrity on this, but I got to give uh, Kaylin Kaler some credit. Because when she first started, we asked her at the end, we were like, hey, what? you got to stake your claim, Justin Fields, or you take a quarterback at one for the Bears. Because all signs are the Bears want to have their plan in place by the end of the combine. Which is, honestly, it's a. I think that's setting up to tell you they're probably already leaning very heavily in one way. You can guess which way it is. I have a feeling Justin Fields might already know which way they're leaning as well. I, I would assume that him unfollowing them on social media, which is the new, um, this, which is the new ghosting, 
of just, ah, well, now I'm not going to follow your team on social media. Well, How about remember, that? Remember, Browns fans got all hot and bothered because T. Higgins started following like Deshaun and Denzel and Amari and by the on way, Instagram. It does matter in college. And the only reason I point to that is Will Howard following everybody and their mother on social media. It has anything to do with the Buckeyes, including Quinshawn Judkins. A week later, they're both Buckeyes. I digress. <laughs> I was initially going to tease her for riding the fence on, well, I think I think they should go to Justin and say, hey, next year's all you, but we're going to take Caleb Williams and we're going to let this play out. But I actually think... Similar now, to what the 49ers did. Yeah, but now, but here's the thing. Now I think we've entered to this era where you just, the, the penalty for getting it wrong on quarterbacks isn't what it was 20 years ago. Because, Except for a fear of the Browns. Well, I mean, I, I meant more that they that was a self-imposed penalty. Because, <laughs> I'm just saying. Because that. they gave the fully guaranteed contract and the six top 100 picks, all that. But what I mean is, like, when it comes to drafting a quarterback at three and then busting or drafting a quarterback at one and them not working out, it's not the organization killer. It doesn't set you back for five years the way it used to. And I think the genius is, like, it no longer matters how many how many stabs you take at getting the quarterback right. And now it just matters in the end, do you get it right? Like, guys, Brock Purdy, not a franchise quarterback. Until until otherwise, it's not what he is yet. But he's good enough that the 49ers can go, oh, what about that Trey Lance guy? We, we never happened. Like, think about that. I think that's I think that's I, that that to me me- mentally is not something could have happened 15 years ago. I don't know. They did make a Super Bowl with a guy who's not a franchise quarterback. I give him credit. Are are you, are you what are you going to be a, a Brock Purdy apologist on these airwaves? I, I, I'm, I'm not the- apolog. I'm just saying the results are the results, man. Yeah, so did the Ravens. So did the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. It's almost like good teams also can get to the Super Bowl, not just great quarterbacks. Want to step up? <laughs> what, what, what? Come at the king again? Come on. We'll get the careless whisperer back out here as you and I just fight like cats and dogs. Oh, oh no, no, no. I don't think you play careless whisper for fighting like cats and dogs. Well, I, I think you got the moods wrong there, uh, Nick, unless you're in the mood for some angry action. I'm listen, I'll throw down however we gotta throw down here. All right. I'll do just about anything to win a fight these days. Um But I mean I mean, look, he, he got there. Well, okay, but I want to get back to the the Fields and, and Williams thing. I think there is genius in saying, Well, we didn't take this guy. It was the previous regime that took Justin Fields. Yeah, you're not married to the guy, it's easier to dispose of. Like well, happens and, all the time. And here's the thing. If Justin Fields goes out there, Andrew Barry didn't trap Baker Mayfield, even though he was here when it happened. Well, but but like with Fields, you can you can send him out there, and if he balls out, you can fra- you can soft tag him and get probably better next year. If he goes out year one, you, then a year from now, you're either going to trade Caleb Williams right. or you're going to turn around and get more on Justin Fields. And I think that's what's interesting. If if somebody's offering what was it two and a five for Justin Fields, that is criminally low. Right. I don't care he's going into year four of the deal. I don't care you got to make the decision on the fifth-year option. He By the still way, has. I, I am glad we're not sitting here talking about if the Browns should trade for Justin Fields. That's the best. That- I actually think Justin Fields would be a better flyer than any of the guys the Browns took. Like, I mean, think about a guy. They took it on RG3, who had been you know, yeah. cut by Washington. They had taken a flyer on Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. They had taken a flyer on uh, – some of their flyers were just old, older. I almost said old. Uh, but Josh McCown and Brian Hoyer. Like, those weren't legitimate flyers. Right. But, like – I mean, they did draft Brandon Whedon as a senior citizen in the first round. <laughs> just think – I mean, guys, those guys did actually built something real 
the uh, Heckert and, and I'm not gonna give Holmgren credit. He just sat back and drank Diet Pepsi. But like, no, no, no. It was it was uh, drinks with the umbrella. In that's now. right, right, right. Foofy drinks. The yes. man was very secure in who he was, and he and but, he and he, he loved having his cast resting on the golf cart as he rode around. But the biggest mistake is you forced the pick on Trent Richardson and Brandon Whedon in the same draft. And that made That's all almost of us, as good as drafting Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel in the same draft. That made us all go, okay, you can fire him now. But getting back to it, <laughs> I'd like, yeah, if you can't get value for Justin Fields, why? Like, your it, whole it, job is, your the whole point is to get a quarterback. Like, why not have the, not, I don't like competing. Say, Justin, yeah, this is your next year. We'll, we'll, we, we'll readdress it next offseason. I think there's, I think it's kind of brilliant, honestly, because I think it does continue to show people, hey, we're not going to overvalue the impact of or, or play the quarterback game as everybody else plays it, it. And you don't have to bring in a bridge quarterback until Williams is ready. Yes. Because Fields is he that acts bridge, as your bridge quarterback. He acts yeah. as your bridge quarterback, and you make a determination. And if Fields takes off, then you could always uh, flip Caleb Williams into draft assets in the future. Our esteemed guest on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, you know him as a Odyssey NFL insider on his latest football morning in America. He talks about the Browns in Brazil. Peter King, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, how's everything? Where everything's going as reasonably well as it possibly can in Cleveland in February. How about yourself? Uh, well, look, I'm very familiar with Cleveland in February as, a, as an Ohio University grad, so been there many a time in the dead of winter and had many a good time. So I'm sure it's good. Oh, it's always good. Now, I, I, you, you seem pretty confident in your FMIA about the Browns, Eagles in Brazil. Dare I, uh, dare I to get you to say you'll lock it in that you think this is going no. to happen? <laughs> no, because the decision hasn't been made yet. I, I'll just I'll, I'll run you through my thought process and then you can. Uh, you can understand why I think the way I think. Okay, so Philadelphia has nine home games next year. All right, and so one of them has to be exported to Brazil on the Friday night of the first weekend of the season. And so now you start playing the elimination game. And the NFL, even though it has played five division games out of however many, I think 45 games, something like that uh, over the years. They've played five division games as international games. They don't like to do that. They would rather have the division games uh, be on American soil without giving one team a big advantage over another. So, So anyway, let's assume, even though it's not rock solid, that it isn't Dallas, it isn't Washington, it isn't the New York Giants. That brings us down to six games. All right? Here are the six foes. Carolina. Carolina has a game in Germany this fall. They are not going to give Carolina a second international game. They're out. We're down to five. Pittsburgh, the cross-state rival of the Eagles, plays in Philadelphia only once every eight years. I sincerely sincerely doubt that the NFL is going to move uh, the only game in Pittsburgh or in Philadelphia against the rival Steelers to Brazil 
so that you got to wait another eight years for such a matchup to ever happen in Philadelphia. Then Jacksonville. So Jacksonville already plays in England every year. It's quite unlikely they would ask Jacksonville to play in England and then uh, also play in Brazil. All right, so that leaves three teams left. That leaves Cleveland, Atlanta, and Green Bay. Now, this is just me. I doubt the NFL is going to put a totally rebuilding team, the Atlanta Falcons, in a huge marquee game on the first weekend of the year. It's not like the NFL to do that because Atlanta is probably more likely to be 7-10 and 10 than, than they are to be 12-5. and five. So I could be wrong about that. What if they get Kirk Cousins? The NFL could think, okay, let's put Atlanta down there. But as of now, I don't think it'll be Atlanta. Now for Green Bay. Okay, now understand that the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are not going to have a choice necessarily about who their foe is in Brazil. But I can tell you this. They do not want to lose a home game against the Green Bay Packers in Philadelphia this year. Green Bay, even though they're going to sell out all their games in Philadelphia, Green Bay at Philadelphia is a uh, is a great game and one of the marquee games that the Eagles would have all year. So the the Eagles would tell the NFL, "Hey, please don't move our Green Bay game to Brazil." So now we're down to one team, Cleveland Browns. Won 11 games last year. There's no reason to think they're not going to be a very strong contender particularly because theoretically they won't be starting five different quarterbacks this year. And so in my opinion, they are going to be, and they're going to be a very, very competitive team. They're going to be excellent on defense. And I think it'd be a competitive four quarter game. And I think the NFL is going to say at the end of the day, all things considered, Cleveland's the best candidate to play uh, the Eagles in a huge marquee game, the first game ever played in South America uh, by NFL teams uh, in the history of the league. Peter, I want to tap into your uh, Ohio roots here. Uh, A lot of conversation about the future of the Browns and where they're going to play starting in the 2029 season. Either they'll uh, redo the current stadium or – uh, build the dome possibly uh, close to Cleveland. How sacrilegious would it be if the Browns built a dome? Well, look, I understand the difference between a dome and uh, and you know a roof that can open up on a beautiful day. But I feel the same way about a weatherless Cleveland team as I do about a weatherless Chicago team. I think it's a bad decision. It's a bad move. And I understand how much more money a retractable roof costs than uh, than just doming the stadium. I get it. I understand it. Uh, I have no idea how deep Jimmy Haslam and D. Haslam's pockets are. But I would hope sincerely 
sincerely that whether football games uh, stay in Cleveland for the rest of our lives. Peter King of NBC Sports and Odyssey NFL Insider on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Um, so I, in, in your latest FMIA, you, you'd kind of dig deep into the roots of Mahomes landing in Kansas City and how uh, how vastly in pursuit uh, New Orleans was and they could have had that Mahomes versus Marshawn Lattimore debate in that if, if both guys had been on the board at, at pick 11. So I'm just curious, what of all the different wrinkles you went through, including you had one on the Browns as well, thinking about trading up, what do you think the biggest what if is regarding Pat Mahomes in the 2017 NFL draft? Well, I think the greatest thing that ever happened to the Kansas City Chiefs is that the Buffalo Bills change coaches and Sean McDermott was uh, they they were, I don't know, a month or so away from replacing the current general manager, Doug Whaley with Brandon Bean. But at that moment, Doug Whaley was trying to show uh, the ownership and the head coach. Hey, listen, I can wheel and deal and I can get us two ones and a three for this pick because the Bills at the time did not want any of those quarterbacks. And look, it worked out fine for them because the next year they got Josh Allen. But the luckiest thing that happened to Kansas City uh, is that Buffalo was 10, because if for some reason they were not able to move up to 10, I can tell you both Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis told me last week that they would have taken Mahomes at 11, passed on Lattimore. And look, it's it would have been a kind of a controversial decision because if you look at Drew Brees' record and his seasons after that draft, he had four more good seasons. Two of them were intergalactic. So it wasn't like getting drafted in a place where you knew that, hey, you like Alex Smith, but you knew that it was just he was kind of keeping the seat warm for the next guy. And so Kansas City got extremely lucky because the team at number 10, uh, you know, basically did not want to make the pick and was willing to trade. I have always thought to this day, and nothing has changed my opinion, that, uh, that Cleveland – had Cleveland wanted to, because they entered that draft holding one in 12. Uh, and look, nobody can criticize the Miles Garrett pick. Yes, it, he's turned out to be a great player for them, one of the best defensive players in football. So nobody can, can knock that pick. However, I think it easily would have been possible for the Browns to trade up from 12 to whatever it would have taken if they wanted either Mahomes or let's say Deshaun Watson. But it's clear history has shown that they obviously didn't want either quarterback because look, they traded away the pick when they were staring at being able to get Deshaun Watson. And obviously look that as you guys know, the Browns history of acquiring quarterbacks is probably the most star crossed history in the NFL of any franchise, because when you think about it in 16, they take Cody Kessler in the third round 
In 17, they pass on Patrick Mahomes and they take Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. And then the following year, they probably overdrafted uh, Baker Mayfield, as it turns out. Uh, So, you know, and then they have to pay a ridiculous ransom uh, to get Deshaun Watson. So, you know, they, they haven't had the best timing or made the best decisions when it's come to drafting quarterbacks. Uh, along the lines of uh, the great Patrick Mahomes, uh, I think it's fair to say the Chiefs weren't at their best during the regular season yet. Here they are, Super Bowl champions for the third time in five years. Who do you think can catch them in 2024, and where do the Browns fit in that whole picture? Well, I think you have to, if you, I think the Browns defensively belong on the same field with Kansas City without any question. The question is, will the real Deshaun Watson please stand up? He's now 40% of the way through his five-year contract, and you would think at the end of two years, you would have a very good feeling, pro or con, on what you have in Deshaun Watson. I don't know how anybody could think that you have a great feel for Deshaun Watson. You know, he had some very good moments last year. Uh, as time went on, but then obviously he got hurt. So you just, you really don't know uh, what he is right now, but Hey, if he comes back and plays as he once did play, the Browns easily could go deep into the playoffs and could challenge Kansas city. But that's the biggest, that's the biggest question I would have. I think, you know, at the risk of, of sounding, you know, like a, like a broken record. I think San Francisco is going to come back very strong next year. I think that they have the quarterback who's making under a million dollars and they're going to be able to do things with their salary cap that most teams are unable to do this coming off season. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, uh, sign Joey Bosa and pair him with his brother um, as bookend pass rushers for them. Uh, Joey Bosa has had real big injury problems, so we'll see what happens. But I still think we're so close to the season that to me, I still think that probably San Francisco and Detroit in the NFC are the biggest challengers. And look, you know, Lamar Jackson has got to play well in the playoffs. He has not done so. And, you know, that's one of those things. He's got to show people that he can be a primetime player in January and February. That's something he just hasn't done so far. Peter, publicly, the Browns have been uh, very confident and just across the board (laughs) that Deshaun's going to be fine coming off this shoulder injury, uh, even though there's it it just we don't see that glenoid injury in, in NFL quarterbacks. I'm curious if, if whether you've gotten any sense if privately they, they have that same level of confidence that not not that it's not a nothing burger, but that, that Deshaun's not going to be hindered by the shoulder next year. You know, I don't know. And I have zero inside information about what they really think about his shoulder. But in today's world, I would be very surprised if, his shoulder cannot be repaired to be back to normal. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, w- I just don't see that. Now, 
I think the only the only thing I would say <clears throat> about Watson and and look, you know, at some point you've got to wonder about this player's confidence. I, I mean, because he's not nearly as accurate in his 12 games that he's played as he was in Houston, and he's not nearly as productive. So, you know, like I said before, you've got to see it, and obviously um, he's going to have to be healthy to show everybody that. Um, And and again, I'm sure that that the injury is going to be rehabbed well enough so that when they get to training camp, he's going to be able to show everybody what he's got. Peter, um, you know, Andrew Barry and uh, Kevin Stefanski were four years into this thing. Stefanski's won Coach of the Year now twice uh, in those four years, taking the Browns to the playoffs, uh, same amount of time. Uh, it seemed to have really stabilized this organization, which was uh, basically a turnstile of constant change. Where yeah. where do you think the Browns, with Barry and Stefanski at the helm, rank in the league's hierarchy of uh, not just respect, but uh, legitimate uh, title contenders? Well, I think they're in the top 10 to be sure uh, because they've built a good defense. They're able to keep Jim Schwartz on board. And the one thing that really impresses me about Stefanski is, you know, he is very, very good at being cool and not letting things that might bother slash upset a football team upset him at all. Now, I'm not inside that locker room. I'm not inside the coach's office. Maybe he, um, you know, throws some coffee mugs and and curses people out. I don't know. I, I'm not there. We're not there. But I doubt it. And he's the kind of guy who basically says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you every chance in the world. And you are going to have every opportunity to prove you belong. uh, And it's all going to be on you. I think he's done a very good job with that. And I think Andrew Barry has done a good job building the depth uh, on this roster. And, you know, to me, I mean, obviously there are questions. Every team has questions. You know, the running backs, I I think, you know, that's a question. Uh, You know, clearly they probably need uh, one more receiver this year, you know, in the draft. Um, And and look, everybody has needs at this time of year. But I think they have settled into a good groove. And, but, you know, again – we saw what happened. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs, since they got rid of Tyreek Hill, since they traded Tyreek Hill, are 32-9, and including 7-0 and in the playoffs. And they have not had a 1,000-yard wide receiver. They have not had a 1,000-yard rusher. Do you know why they won the last two Super Bowls? Because they have a quarterback who takes his team by the scruff of the scruff of the neck and he, and he drags it along with him and he's not going to be denied. Now it's easy to say now we've just seen him do it and who knows what happens next year. 
but you need your quarterback to have that impact on your team, to have that effect on your team. And, and again, I don't mean to be negative about Deshaun Watson. All I mean to say is I have no idea if he's still that guy or if he's going to be that guy ever again. Peter, great stuff as always, man. Really appreciate you. Really uh, appreciate your your perspective on FMIA with the Browns, both with Mahomes stuff, which I thought was uh, a fun read, and the Browns in Brazil. Really great stuff, sir. Sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you so much. Peter King there, Odyssey NFL insider on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. There's a lot that Peter said that I wholeheartedly agree with, and I want to point that out so I can say that is the craziest friggin' thing I've ever heard. This I this this love this love fest for crappy weather games is the silliest nonsense that I've ever heard. The people who say that don't live in Cleveland. The people who say that don't have to go to the friggin' park when it's, you know, three degrees and then you factor in the wind chill and it's minus ten and you've got to use hand warmers to keep vital parts of your uh, anatomy from getting frostbitten. Like I just this whole thing and I can prove it to you. Go to Cleveland Browns Stadium in December and show me the upper deck in the stadium and show me <laughs> show me the mass of people because I'll be honest with you. You can deal with it if you're in the suites. You can deal with three degrees temperature if you're in the lower bowl or if you're in that middle section. You're not dealing with it if you're in the upper part of it. And that's before we get into just the overall impact on Cleveland and Cleveland football. If, if And the Browns, if you're able to move this to a spot where you can have a retractable roof and you can start to really invite all these different elements into the town. I think, I don't, I, who gives a damn if it's Cleveland or Chicago? Nobody wants to go back to the Ice Bowl. Once a year, once a year in Buffalo, they play football in an absolute snowstorm. Everybody goes, ha, ah, isn't this cool? And by the fourth quarter, you're ready for clear skies and, and 72 degrees. You know why? Because it's unwatchable. I do not understand this just lusting for god-awful football brought on by elements that in the year 2024 we've never been able to control more. I got bad news for Peter. It's not going to have a retractable roof on it. It's going to be a dome. If they build new, it's going to have a roof that doesn't move. That That's just the, the way it is. Because uh, I have 750 million to 1 billion plus reasons why the roof will not move if they build a new dome. I just, I don't, like, do you, who really enjoys it? Well, go back to the, um, the, the Christmas game, the Christmas Eve game against the New Orleans Saints, where it was, the wind chill was like 20 degrees below zero. Mm-hmm. David Njoku being the fun, crazy, lovable guy that he is, and I, and I'm not being sarcastic, He's just a fun, crazy, lovable guy mm-hmm. doing the no shirt thing. Like, I just, because that's what David Njoku does. I, I mean, no, no. And, and yeah, I I just, I can't imagine that that's a fun environment for fans that, especially the ones that are, you know, paying the the larger dollars, if you will, for see, I mean, the, the one game in Buffalo, they didn't even clear the seats off. They just shoveled the aisleways. Like, Imagine spending $250 for a lower bowl seat, right? You get there after traveling through the three feet of snow that fell. You get to your seat. Well, you can't get to your seat because you have to dig your way to find it. And then once you're there, then you have to unbury it. Like, come on. wait. I I just... And here's here's the thing. It's not even just about the quality of football, which again, I'm sorry. There's no majesty in... Like, listen... 
I get that in 1980, it was really cool when Brian Sype was thrown into a hellacious wind. The game of football's changed since 1980. It's changed since 1995. There's a reason they play all the Super Bowls either in a dome or south of the Mason-Dixon yes. line if it's open air. Well, and here's the thing. Like, we've had Albert on, and Albert thinks if you get a retractable roof or a dome, he says that's probably going to buy you one Super Bowl. Which, and to me, one you know Super Bowl would be worth it. What's going to buy another draft. Well, and I think another draft would be cool. But to me, it's just useless. It's like, listen, I'm not going to get into the economist point of view on this because, quite frankly, those people, like, I just, it has no interest to me. Like, well, you know, it doesn't really bring tangible benefits. Oh, God, shut up. God, you smart you smart people. I don't care. All right? Nikki want good football. Nikki want comfortable seating. Okay? Me want nice things. All right? That's I'm a, I'm a, this is where you will get me to my absolute most based instinct of a man. Nicer stadium, me likey. It's that friggin' simple. All right? But when we With go beyond that, heat, by we the go way. beyond that. I think it's absolutely stupid. That you would build a a hundred a, a one point two billion dollar one point five billion dollar stadium. Try two. And, okay, but we're talking about with the dome and all that. But the point is, spending any of that money and then being like, yeah, it'd be really cool if we use it sixteen times a year. That's a great. That's a great use of my money. Your I'm talking about the Haslam's in that case. Like, listen, I'm not all that crazy about public funding for a stadium. And again, me liking new things, me liking new stadiums. So. It's clear that I'm willing to, to talk turkey here. Well, but the it, point is... Use the right public streams like the gambling revenue or the marijuana revenue or something like that. Let the potheads pay for yes. it. We've been saying it for a while. Well, the, the, the smokers and uh, beer drinkers have been paying for gateways since forever. And- but, but the greater point here is that as, as, cra- as crazy as some of that might seem, it's even crazier that you'd be like, well, let's not have a roof on it so we can only use it like 12 times a year. Okay. All right. What are we doing here? And like we, at least, at least, at least, you might be able to use it a hundred times a year if you do it with uh, with a dome on it or the retractable roof, because then you could actually get good concerts back. Remember, guys, remember when Guns N' Roses would come to town? Remember when like Taylor Swift might come to town? A dome might make that possible. All right, I'm sorry, that matters as much to me as a as a music lover as it does. Well, we're gonna use it twelve times for football. Well, and that's why the Browns will absolutely 100% be on the road in week two. Because there's a concert here, February 13th. That's a Friday night. There's no way that place is going to be ready for a football game by Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, or Monday night. But they were in a dome. They could. Uh, let's go CLE. Uh, sending to Atnick Wilson says, Social media reactions brought to you by Shabin Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. I love weather games, and yes, I've been to them. Are we so soft? We can't handle yes. one or two weather games the entire year, so we have to have a dome all year. It's not just about the weather. But, guys, brute, like 12-degree weather does not make good football. And I'm sorry. Like, anymore, it's it's not just about what we experience in the stadium itself. It's about watching it on TV. And cold weather football games, like in Chicago, like in Green Bay, oh, it's got such history to it. I don't think that's true. I mean, maybe in Green Bay where they might be clinically insane and the only thing they have is Packer football, but from a televised product standpoint, every, every, and I mean this, I'm going to say this again, every NFL team should have either a retractable roof or a dome on it. Same thing with baseball. 
you play from uh, you play from the end of March to the beginning of November. What the hell are we doing without any sort of roof on any of these stadiums in baseball? But getting back to the football thing, like, yeah, it's about people being soft. Yeah, uh, guys, it's about hypothermia being a real thing and people not liking hypothermia. It's okay. Like, and by the way, if it just he's asking, are we really that soft? I would, I would ask you to go back to this last December in that Saints game and tabulate exactly exactly how many people were in the upper deck, and then we'll talk about whether we're soft or not. Because I'm just going to say the the facts back up that yeah, maybe we are that soft. It was friends and family day at the stadium. I don't think the older fans, even now as they get older, I don't think the weather still matters as much. But I think to the younger fans, I see a lot of people go tailgate and then they go to a bar instead of going to the game because it's a little bit cheaper and you don't have to deal with the inclement weather for 12 hours on a day. I have a simpler way of thinking about this. We got some calls I want to get to as well. But one of the other things we talked about with Peter was the Browns in Brazil. And he would not lock it in, but he says the math kind of shakes out to being you know, the Browns having one of the three best chances of playing in Brazil on Friday night in the first week of the season. Now, in in fairness, I don't love um, anything that disrupts my football schedule. So I do like my 1 p.m. kickoff. I am an old man in that regard. I love my football. Football feels different if it's not on a Sunday to me. Uh, that includes Monday, by the way, which in, or Thursday, which are great primetime games. There's only one thing that I'm not entirely in love with, though, because I do think it's cool if you were the first team, one of the first two teams to play in Brazil. And I think the Friday thing gives it a showcase. It's another, you know, primetime kind of flavor to it. So I love all that. Only thing I don't love is how it, it, it would be shaping up that the first two weeks away, or first two weeks of the NFL season would be spent away from Cleveland. And I know that they can balance that out throughout the course of the season, but I personally don't love having to wait that long to, to three weeks into the season to have your home opener. There, That's just a personal preference. Yeah, I know. There's been plenty of seasons, though, where we've seen it almost split down the middle, right? In the first eight games or whatever, the Browns will play five home games. And then on the, the back end, they'd have to make it up by being road warriors. We actually saw that this past season. They didn't play a lot of home games uh, down the stretch. So, yeah, not so great news. It takes until week three before they would be able to open their season at home, again, assuming that they go to Brazil to play the Eagles. But on uh, the back end of it, well, it, well for, for all the folks uh, – on the phones right now that are quite happy sitting in uh, sub-zero degree temperatures in December, well, you might get a few of those uh, this coming football season. So get to get back to that real quick, I think the simplest way that I've been thinking about this is people right now who enjoy you know those uh, three-degree football games in December, I don't think going to a dome is suddenly going to turn them off from football. Whereas when you have the dome, I think there's a fair amount of people who will not come downtown to a game to buy tickets because of the weather that all of a sudden will. I, I, I think that's as, as simple as it gets. I don't think you're going to drive off many fans if you build a dome. And I think you're gonna I think you're gonna gain more than you lose. So Whereas, what you're saying is you could build a dome with more seats than they currently have. Well, no, I mean Because people forget when they did that renovation in 2014, 2015, they took about Four to 5,000 seats out of that stadium. It went from a 70, 
1,000 seat stadium. Now it's 67 and change. So I think that's part of it. But I just think you're going all of a sudden in December, if your team's an 11 win team and making a push towards the playoffs, people will be there. I don't think you're going to have to worry about the the kind of stuff that we worried about this year with uh, with that upper deck kind of issue there. Meaty pork chop on Twitter sending to at Nick Wilson says at right or wrong FAN. Uh, he said, I'm 38 and sat in the last row upper deck for the Bears game. Build the dome. <laughs> let's go. Uh, let's go here with Mike. Welcome to the show, Mike. How's it going, guys? Good, buddy. What you got for us? So I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder in the upper deck. I'm 45 years old, and I absolutely love cold weather football. Now, here's the problem. Here's one thing. I, you keep going back to the Saints game last year. Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, there was nobody there. Why? One, they were out of the playoffs. Two, it was Christmas Eve. If it was five below on Thursday night against the Jets this year, the place would have been packed and been just as loud as it was this year. What about what was the was it was it the Jets game uh, four days after Christmas? What was the one where you could visibly see the up? No, because that was no, because that, was, thir- that was Thursday night football. Now I got to look back the, at the, the schedule. I think here. it was the Bear game. Oh yeah, the Bears game. I will say the Bears when game. When the commissioner did. was in town yeah. talking with the governor so real quick. and the Haslams. What are you doing with that? And the Haslams. Um, Mike, what do you find your wallets? Uh what do you love about winter football specifically? It's just the way football should be played. It's outdoors. It's an outdoor sport. You didn't learn to play football inside. When I was doing two days when I was at Pee Wee football it was hundred degrees. Would I love to be outside in the cold playing it? Sure, but it should be played outside, period. It's not an indoor game. This isn't basketball. Um, I you want to watch an indoor sport? You go watch basketball. So, it's an outdoor sport. Well, you know it's the same game, right? Yeah, but it's the not the same. The rules don't change. It's not the same. There's no win factor. Your kicker can just kick no matter what. You, you, The guy's throwing the ball, you can throw the ball the same way every time. If there's no win, there's no weather, you don't have to adjust to that stuff. It's an outdoor Yeah, but football's game. hard enough for the Browns as it is. Do we really need the weather making it worse? That's okay. Sorry. It, it, equal playing field. All right, Mike, we appreciate <laughs> you, buddy. Thank you very much. You uh, knew I was going there. Let's go with David, who I think is disappointed with us. David, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Gentlemen, how are you? Doing very, very well. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Good. Thank you for taking my call, and I'm going to bust that guy's bubble. Here's the deal. I started season t- – I, I got season tickets way back in 74 when I graduated, me and some of my buddies nice. at the old stadium. And I'm here to tell you, gentlemen, Red Right 88, you were numb. Your body was frozen. We thought the Browns were going to pull it off, obviously, but like through an interception, it was so cold, you couldn't feel your body, period. And I sat through years of all that. I had season tickets until 2014 when they drafted Johnny Meathead. I just said, I've had enough. I don't want to sit outside and freeze my cans off in this weather. You know what I mean? It's, it's nuts. So my point is, uh, I traveled a lot uh, years ago, and I was at the Superdome a couple times just for business trips, seminars. They mm-hmm. use that thing every day. And the guy said, we use it because, you know, they've got all those gigantic uh, rooms for, uh, you name it, parties, get-togethers, meetings, blah, blah, blah. It gets used every day. And I'm all for a, a, a dome. Sit and freeze in your can. First of all, 
look how long the uh, the season is. You know, way back it was what twelve games, then fourteen, then sixteen, now seventeen. So, Soon to be eighteen. Yeah, it's too damn cold. It's too. And I sat at the at Chicago at the uh, Soldier Field for years. I had buddies have buddies in Chicago. We'd go. It is god awful freezing. I said, guys, this isn't fun anymore. But I'm all for a dome. Um, I don't know. It's a and you know what? The weather has no effect on the game. So, you know, I don't know. God bless Phil Dawson. That man could kick anywhere. And he still got his cans. David, we appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, man. Have a great one. You too, buddy. David, we appreciate your call there. Uh, Hate it when the cans freeze. I thought, given what the description was, I thought he was going to destroy us. And then he agreed with us. I felt bad. (laughs) We're going to take more dissenting voices here. It's interesting he pointed out, you know, the wide receiver thing and – there's a part of me that thinks that we've. We, I think we might have overkilled the wide receiver conversation as a need for the Browns. Why? Because we've had the same conversation for like the last five off seasons in a row. Well, no, I just don't think it's as big of a need as, as it was last off season. Like you it's can, still a need. Well, okay, but but comparative to last off season, you had Amari, and even Amari was a bit of a question mark because Amari and Deshaun did not look good together in the final six games of the, the, the Deshaun's first season here. Right. So this year, you have seen like a great performance, a couple great performances with Amari, with and without Deshaun. I also think, like, I'll be honest with you guys, like I kind of don't want to jam up that room because I don't think we can really tell because they had jumped around with four quarterbacks. I think the jury should still be out on Elijah. He could have been a disappointment this year, and the jury could still be out on him. Cedric Tillman, uh, there were some real problems there in terms of his rawness as a football player, and the jury's still out on him. David Bell, like, I just, I do see the value in adding a specific type of receiver, but I think every time we start playing the name game with wide receivers, I think people more often than not take it into the wrong direction. And it's only going to muddle up the conversation, quite frankly. Well, I just don't understand why a lot of people want to act like the Browns don't have a number one wide receiver on the roster. Because they do. His name is Amari Cooper. Because what he does doesn't look like Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. That's the why. Well, he's producing. Like, I just, I think the solution for Elijah Moore is to just have him be a receiver this year instead of doing all the gimmicky stuff or trying to do all the, all the gimmicky stuff that you tried to do last offseason. Because, yeah. I mean, look, I talked nonstop last offseason uh, during the offseason program and training camp, just all this stuff that they were going to be able to do with Elijah Moore because we were seeing it in those workouts and practices. And then the the season comes and – they start dipping into the bag of tricks, and it's blowing up in their face spectacularly. None of it's working. So I think this year for uh, Elijah, just he's a wide receiver. Put him in the slot. Let him go. It, like that's what that needs to be. That's, I hear. I, I hear the, you. That's if the slot exists under Ken Dorsey. Wow, which is something that from uh, Brian Dable to uh, Ken Dorsey in Buffalo supposedly went away. Yeah, I, and, and, that, and that's fair. Uh, and then maybe Elijah Moore doesn't fit. Because mm-hmm. I don't think Elijah Moore is a run down the field, you know, have him run 35 yards down the field and, and get open type of a guy. I mean, but he has I, that speed. I think, I, I know, I think that's I, the, the I, question. I, I realize that, but to me, Elijah Moore is a guy, I want to get the ball in his hands as quickly as possible and let him do what Elijah Moore does. Hence why Stefanski was doing all the gimmicks and the misdirection and all that, 
because it was just about, hey, let's just get the ball in this guy's hands and yeah. let him go to work. And it didn't work um, last year for the most part. So, But when they just threw to him as a wide receiver, he did catch the football. It did come away with a positive place. Say, you know, um, Cedric Tillman is still an enigma. Like He's got a lot of work to do on his game. Mm-hmm. I, he, there, there were times where he was causing more problems than he was doing good. Um, and, and that's something that's going to have to be corrected this offseason because it, it's about winning. Like, I, I realize that part of it, and this is the delicate balance that Andrew Barry, along with Kevin Stefanski and the coaching staff, that they have to, right, they have to win now. This is win now time. But also at the same time, you want to be developing talent. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to do both at the same time. So to me, Tillman got to get with the program this offseason. That's that's absolutely critical because the mistakes he made as a rookie, understandable. He's a rookie. I'm not killing the kid. But those are mistakes he can't make in his sophomore season. Like, he's got to get past that, right? Yeah. Um, very important. David Bell, this will be what, year three for him. Need to see some production out of this guy. Need to give him some regular opportunities and reps to see if he's got it, right? Um, well, but so- I think some of this is also just going to be key by actually running the three, four, five wide receiver sets yeah. that you should have been running this last year. Yeah. And, like, it, you know, I listen, I, I love – Multiple tight end sets. I do. I don't know what it's it, it's what fits uh, Deshaun. And I think where you are with the wide receiver thing is, I think especially at wide receiver, there's always a reason these guys are available in free agency. Correct. When guys come up and trade, it's a little different because contractual impasses. Whether teams are willing to go and you know uh, hit hit the uh, uh, you know dip into the owners' pockets to keep guys that that played into it with AJ Brown in Tennessee, right? Right. Oh well, you just replace him with a similar player that is uh, that doesn't need to get paid. That turns out to not work, by the way. But like when you come to free agency, like I'll I'll tell you the rat poison name that I heard, and I have the utmost respect that it he's not rat poison. It's the name at the cost that concerns me. It's Mike Evans, and over the weekend uh, there was there had been like a, a apparently a soft uh, deadline for the 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 team to get a deal, the Bucks to get a deal Monday. done with uh, Pro Bowl wide receiver Mike Evans, and unless something changes, it, it seems as if he's set to free agency because Tampa took a seven point four million dollar dead cap hit to be able to go ahead and and because this this cap impasse right has, has now passed, like. I think Mike Evans still has good ball in him. Like if you watch him, he he made Baker last year. Yeah, he had a really good year with and, Baker, and and it, you could tell how much Baker trusted him. So it's not that Mike Evans isn't a really good, highly uh, productive player at this point in his career. It is how many touches he going to take away from the young guys, and ultimately, does he satisfy the real need that you have on your roster with wide receiver, which isn't a one, a two, a three, and it's just more speed. You know, like you, the the whole argument with, well, you can never have en- enough good wide receivers. With a, with a player like Deshaun in the optimal system, you can never have enough speed. And I think you saw last year early, Marquise Goodwin was coming off the health issues. He yeah. was not the same guy. And that put all the onus on Elijah Moore. Yeah, and, and, I'll that's, take a lesser, why brought, and that's why you brought Goodwin in here. Yes. To but, be that speed. But I'll take a lesser talent at wide receiver than Mike Evans, but somebody who fits with Deshaun. And I've, I've mentioned a few, Darnell Mooney, Curtis Samuel. Like, these are good football players that might be better football players here than Mike Evans would, 
because Mike Evans is a big wide receiver that effectively at this point in his career is a really crafty small tight end <laughs> given his size <laughs> and, and where his skill set is. So like I look at that and I'm like, okay, pornographic name, zero nutritional content. Yeah, it, you don't want to make you want to make sure that because this is the point the Browns are in. They don't have to make splash moves. You want to make sure that your splash moves, if you make them this offseason, have the substance behind yeah. them. Like Zedarius Smith last year, splash move with substance. Yeah. Um, Amari but, two years ago. Yeah, Amari two years ago. Gave up nothing to get him, took advantage of the Cowboys, looking to dump the $20 million off their, you know, off their books and all that. Like, opportunity not. And, and look, I give Andrew Berry credit. He's really good at reading the market. He's really good at seeing opportunity to pounce and not whether it's in uh, signing players, but in making trades that are aggressive that can, you know, bring in guys uh, that will have an immediate impact. I'm with you. I just, again, like you got over 1200 yards from uh, Amari last year. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what else you want from your number one wide receiver other than maybe more touchdowns. Well, but the, to, the, to me, I don't. That's not Amari's fault. Yeah, that's the that's on the quarterback situation. The that's offense. on the offense, yeah. the play calling, and whatever. Right, and there's only one football. Mm-hmm. That, and then I think this hits to your point about Mike Evans. Right, is there enough footballs to go around to keep everyone happy? Is the same question we asked when the Browns traded for Odell and you teamed them up with Jarvis, right? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there saying, ah, this is this offense is going to be electric. These guys are going to catch for 1,000 yards each and touchdowns here, highlight real plays, everything else. And unfortunately, that never materialized for a multitude of reasons, from the quarterback to the play calling to player attitudes to everything. It just it never materialized. So I just, I just caution people, yeah, Mike Evans will be a great ad if it happens. I, I would caution you not to get your hopes up because I'm not sold that that is a move that Andrew Barry needs to make this offseason because you have Amari Cooper. You need someone, to your point, that can get open deep down the field and give Watson a target that he can just let it rip to. That's well, what you need. And I think here's the problem. Again, 216-474-0092. Uh, Mike Evan appears to be uh, hitting the open market here. What was it? March 14th when the new league yeah. year opens up as uh, him and the team could not reach an agreement that would have helped the team uh, miss a what is $7.5 million dead money uh, toll on yeah. the salary cap. As that is now passed, it really doesn't make sense for the team to then go back into this and go farther They've into They've made the finan- decision. Yes. The, the decision so has been made. Is that a name that you guys think makes sense in this offense? Because I do feel like I, if it's Amari or Mike Evans, I think it makes sense. If it is Amari or, and, and not T. Higgins exactly, because T's a little different. He's still young and has the Jets. But, like, every time somebody brings up these names, I just look at it. I I don't want Deshaun feeling the pressure of having too many mouths to feed. I thought, I thought Peter King made an excellent point in regards to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense, right? Mm-hmm. Last, last couple of years, no 1,000-yard runners, no 1,000-yard receivers since the Tyreek Hill trade. And they they haven't missed the beat. Like I, I I feel like too we do get kind of caught up in the, the name the, game. The, 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 not only the name game but the numbers game, right? 
I need, I got to have a thousand yard rusher. I need a thousand yard receiver. I need a, a 10 uh, touchdown per season score. Right. And I, I think that there's something that can be learned to your point about footballs to go around. I think there's something to be learned from how the chiefs have operated and it's not been pretty and it's not been perfect at times, but the Tyreek Hill trade, I remember some of the narrative at the time was, uh, what who, who's Patrick Mahomes going to throw to? Can this uh, Chiefs offense, uh, you know, continue to win at the pace and the level that they have? Can they keep can they keep getting back to the Super Bowl? Can they keep winning Super Bowls? Whatever, right? Well, they 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 won a couple of them and they really don't miss Tyreek Hill. They might miss his numbers, his stats, highlight plays, whatever but it hasn't cost him in the win column and the trophy case. We're just talking about Mike Evans, and, and it it did. like We almost got into this a little bit earlier in the show, but I, I think there is a silver lining to Deshaun's injury. And I, I don't know if the Browns feel this way, so I, this is me kind of projecting onto the Browns. But I think there's something that happens when you have an elite quarterback, and this is not an organizational one-for-one where you can start being rewarded for doing the wrong thing, right? And I, I look no further than Kansas City. Two years ago, Kansas City let a lot of their stalwarts of that first title walk off into the by-and-by. Whether it was Teron Matthew, the Honey Badger, uh, I think it was this last year that they lost Frank Clark. And slowly but surely, they allowed their defense to to go ahead and walk, and they they brought in some new guys around guys like Chris Jones. Now, by the way, it worked because they drafted really well with guys like Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis. Uh, you know, Legereus Sneed stepped up big this year as they lost Juan Thornhill. But then, like this year, guys, they just flat out didn't try at wide receiver. They brought Kadarius Toney back, who is a train wreck in New York and was not even great down the stretch last year. They uh, Marquez uh, Valdez-Scantling making like $17 million to do diddly squat. They pretty much just bought back the same receivers and said, well, it's going to work this time. The problem is Kelsey took a half-notch uh, half step back. The problem is all those dudes started dropping the ball, but yet you have Pat Mahomes bailing out this cadre of slap asses, not, not including uh, Travis, who's still a very, very good tight end, but that was that, that team got rewarded for their frugality the last two years. So the silver lining to me with the Browns is because there's so much uncertainty with the injury, you're at the same time having to build with two visions in mind. You're having to build the absolute best team in case Deshaun can't play at a high level this year because of the shoulder, or if he's inconsistent because of the shoulder, or if he has to miss time because of the shoulder, or another injury. And at the same time, because you're trying to build the, the best roster, you're also trying to build the best roster that fits Deshaun. So I do think that that's a silver lining. Like, I don't think I, – I think the Browns are smart enough to know, hey, because Deshaun is just this – we can't – we don't really know for sure what we can count on. Because of that, it allows you to then look at this and go, well, we got to build the best possible team, and that moves – move money around. We got to take big swings at different players, whether that's wide receivers, defensive linemen, whatever. And I think that's in a way has, has kept the Browns feet to the flame. Whereas if the last two years, the guys balled out, you might be a little bit more complacent and say, well, let's just put it on the kid. Well, and first of all, Andrew Barry is never going to be complacent on any, uh, 
in any way, shape, or form. That's just so, that's just just not how he operates. I, I so understand. Can but, I just rebut that real yeah. quick? He, he he can't be complacent now. But that's it. Something happens when you win a lot. I mean, I think Pittsburgh's gotten complacent. I, but but here's I the thing: I think Baltimore's gotten a little bit complacent. Like I think a lot of really good organizations that we like have gotten complacent. Just, just because we haven't seen Andrew do it yet doesn't mean he's not capable of but, it. Respectfully. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but the Browns didn't do what they wanted to do in the playoffs. So I'm not worried about complacency setting in. They got bounced in the first round, and they got bounced bad. Okay, um, that could not have gone any worse for the Browns in Houston in that wild card game. So they could have moved the team again. Just being fair, they could have been like, "That was such a bad playoff loss. You're now the St. Louis Browns." Don't give many ideas. There used to be a team called the St. Louis Browns. They played baseball. Um, they, uh, I, I think. Barry will have no problem being aggressive this offseason. Um, I don't think he's going to be shy looking for a big-ticket item. Mm-hmm. They have what the Hunts and the Browns and some of the other frugal owners uh, around the NFL don't have. They have deep pockets. The Haslams are not afraid to spend money. They hand the checkbook to Andrew Barry every offseason and say, spend whatever you need. Win. That's all we're asking for. Win. So I I understand what you're saying about like the Ravens and the Steelers and I, I get that. Complacency though is not not even crossed my mind well, they, when it comes to Andrew Barry as as a uh, you know a football GM. So but I think the point is in this scenario, if Deshaun, if this thing had gone swimmingly, the playoffs would not have looked the same way this year. Fair. If if it had gone swimmingly Maybe you go five and one down the stretch last year, and meaning uh, his first year here, and you're actually in the playoffs. So I just, you know, it's so funny. Like I, we've passed so many tests. This organization, I want to give them the credit for that. I'm not. I'm. It's not the big bad wolf here, but I do think. I don't think you've had a chance to get complacent because it's just been chaos at that position. Right. It was chaos coming off. Uh, you know, all of the fallout from the COVID season. It was cha- it was chaos moving on from Baker and then going to Deshaun and then going into that season. It was chaos with a young team impacted by the constant headlines. And then this year it was because of the injuries going through four different quarterbacks. And I think there's going to come a time where the Browns say, well, we've got Deshaun and that goes far enough, much like the, the Chiefs do with Mahomes. If Deshaun really plays up to his capabilities – do I think – because it's not just about Andrew. Andrew can do all those things because he's enabled by the organization. And I think you're still desperate. I think that's a good thing. But all of this is actually me trying to paint this in a good light of because you lost in the playoffs, because you're desperate for this trade to work out, I think you're going to go to extent – like I think they went to the extent last year opening up all that money and t- making the Sidarius trade because – of how badly that trade aged one year in. Yeah, I mean, they, I think it only amplifies this year. They they signed Shelby Harris right before training camp. Uh, when Nick Chubb went down, they they brought Kareem back off the street, signed him, who by the way ended up uh, being tied for the team lead and in, in touchdowns scored. Uh, they went out and uh, signed Joe Flacco off the couch in November to try and save the season, which he did. Okay, um, and they could have easily said, hey, yeah, what are you going to do? All the quarterbacks are hurt. We lost Deshaun. We lost Nick Chubb. We lost Jack Conklin. What are you going to do? And they didn't do that. Barry kept <laughs> kept looking for solutions to problems. 
is you know, and and he gets credit for that. And I, you know, I think that where you're coming from, Nick, where the feeling of well, we're going to put it on Deshaun's shoulders, similar to what the Chiefs did with, uh, you know, Pat Mahomes this this past year. That's we're two years away from that. The, need to see like Deshaun's got to come back and and play well and and win a playoff game or two or three whatever before we get to a point where yeah. We 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 can go with what we got and put it on Deshaun Shoulder because he's got to show that he can shoulder that burden. Right now, they still have to make it as easy on Deshaun as humanly possible and not put burden on his shoulders. 216-474-0092. Do you expect the Browns to go all in on this offseason because of the uncertainty with Deshaun? Because I think, and this is, again, credit to the Browns organization, I think other organizations would not put the kind of investment into this team with the uncertainty of quarterback. I, I think other teams would kind of play it like, well, we got to wait and see before we make that decision. I think this is a case where the Browns' aggressiveness is a positive thing. It took me back to the Dewey Slopes of 2017, my first combine experience, <laughs> and I think I went... I think I went three or four years in a row. No, it had to have been three years in a row because um, the the uh, COVID interrupted 2020. But people don't understand that the two most significant things happening in my first combine experience were one, Daryl took me to a Harry and Izzy's, and uh, they have a amazing shrimp cocktail. But Daryl neglected to tell me that it will clear out your sinuses in one bite. He's no, I don't know. He's you think he doesn't know we're talking about Mac. Do you think we're gonna hide this from Mac? Mac, you should still do it. It's amazing. Yeah, th this will be my fourth trip going to Indy. Okay, so I I've heard I've heard tales of it. That's so, why I told you you should absolutely drink the shrimp cocktail sauce. Yes, you should. Guys, here's the thing. Daryl did not tell me this, and I was. I, I, by the way, enjoyed every second of watching you. I had a sinus it. infection when this happened, and so my nose was plugged up, my ears were plugged up, and I took the biggest bite ever, and my entire face shifted. I felt all of the, the all of the crud in my person just leave my body, and it felt equally amazing. It's like if you've ever had like a like a dislocated uh like bone set, it felt like that. It was it was like five seconds of searing pain and like sixty seconds of pure relief. And so screw you for that. Just in case <laughs> You're welcome. And then I don't even for know For clearing your sinuses, you're welcome. I don't know if you remember this or not, but Marshall Falk was sitting two tables over and he kept looking over at us and it was so distracting because Marshall is a really charismatic dude. And he, at the time, I think he was on the NFL network yeah. and like, it was kind of like, it was like Marshall's moment and it was kind of throwing me off. I'm like, is this dude mean mugging me? Like, I'm, I'm, is he like going to fight me? Like what is going on with Marshall Fogg? <laughs> and he was with his agent and a, and a one or two other people. And you and I were walking out and I fell behind you because he grabbed my arm. He's like, Hey, did we ball together? Like, did, do we, do we play football together? And I was like, I assure you, we did not play football together. I'm just a tall, fat guy. And he roared and we're walking out and you're like, what was that? And I'm like, I ah, will we'll tell you later. 
And which you, you ne- which you never told me wh- later. Which I never told you because I was so embarrassed that I was I was profiled by Marshall Falk. And it does, like to this day, God gave me six foot four. He gave me built like a brick, you know what? And I have sh- I've done nothing with it. Just every time. Like I'll I'll walk in, little kids are like, ah, oh, look at this big. He must play in the no. I'm just fat and tall. You, That's all I got. See, you could have played for with Marshall Falk. I could have. And you, I, you know it. what? I, you know the bad thing is, I should have just said I did. Like yeah, we were on the Rams together. You don't remember me? <laughs> I was the backup right tackle, and I could have had drinks. For free that entire week. Yeah, but the problem is you'd have to remember the name of the backup right tackle of the Rams. No, I wouldn't. If he doesn't remember, like, yeah, <laughs> there weren't a lot of 2001 St. Louis Rams out there. I think we could have just lied the whole week. Practice squad. Practice, yes. That would have been your way in. Oh, man. Oh, man. I probably missed you a lot. You could have played of- it up, too. I, you know, those guys, we don't get a lot of notoriety. It's okay, though. You yeah, know. you know. No, you I know what you could have said? we're in it for. You're a camp invite. You didn't make the you didn't make the team, but why are you diminishing me? Keith's well, we don't need right. to go four levels down. Yeah. Just <laughs> like oh yeah, no, I held your bags once in in, in, yeah. in training camp. You want to no. lie? Because that's actually realistic. Uh, no, he doesn't know clearly. He just saw a big fat guy and thought I must I'm, have played football with him. I'm talking about realistic for you. Well, no, I did. <laughs> Who are you? This is improv. All right, we're creating a backstory. All right, I started four years at San Diego State. I had an injury leading into the combine. <laughs> Actually, San Diego State's not the place because I didn't Marshall play. All right, I, I started four years in Nebraska. <laughs> I had an ACL injury, had to come in as a camp guy, earn my career four years in the practice squad as an offensive lineman. And uh, you know what? I, listen, I, I – I, what about all – remember that time where it was that year where you got all the offensive lineman gifts? You never gave me mine. And just see where it goes, right? The man could buy me a $50,000 Rolex. Could have sold it. Re- renovated my house. And then I would have never gotten you out of that bar that night. No. No, because I would all of a sudden be Marshall Falk's best friend. And they're like, here's the thing. Guys, yeah, we remember. It's like it's like high school reunions. Yeah, you remember 80% of the people you went to high school with. I ha- I, I don't because I got. there's still a friend requesting me on Facebook. And I look at the name and I'm like, you never talked to me in high school. I don't remember who you are. There's a. I graduated 118 kids. I can tell you a hundred of them. And honestly, at 38, that's a gift from God. All right. But if you said, all right, hundred kids in your class and a hundred in the four years ahead of you and four years or three years ahead of you and three years behind, no, nope. We're getting about 50. percent The same same thing applies in football. Like, dude. I was your right. I was your right tackle. You don't remember. You started right guard. Tom Nutton. You you started right guard. You don't remember me, like remember the uh, that uh, this way you got to come up with a lie. Yeah, John Matsko used to make us do the drill. You said it was like a piggy. I belly flopped. See, look at this. I just damn it. Why was I not more devious eight years ago, seven years ago? Math is hard. I think Keith is right. I could have really lied my way into some cool stuff because you of this. You probably could have, but I'm I'm just giving you a more realistic, low-profile approach. Yeah, you're, you're giving me the loser's path to this. Oh, I got a good handshake from Marshall Falk. Hey, I got a, I got a second house in Malibu. No, I, I'm, gi- I'm giving you the more plausible because when you have to actually start dropping names, as in like what your name is, that's when you run into problems. I'm Nicky Dubs, babe. What the Dubs is short for, he doesn't need to know. <laughs>
Yeah, it could be Nikki Dubovich. It could be Nicholas Wilson. It could be anything. Nikki Dubs could be short for literally anything. Plus, Honestly, Dubs didn't even have to be my last name. It's just a nickname I got because I was such a baller at, at uh, Nebraska Omaha. Plus, Wilson's a generic enough last name that he'd be willing to buy in on that. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I think I think you got to go nickname. Actually, okay. Wilson works. Wilson does track. This is the old, if you're confident enough, people are going to buy into it. But I think if I sold Nikki Dubs, because then everybody'd be like, "Yeah, I was talking with Nikki Dubs. Who? Yeah, backup right tackle. Oh, yeah, that guy. Because uh, you mean you mean Will you mean Williams? You mean uh, you no, know, Nikki Dubs. We didn't even know the guy's last name. I think as soon as Nikki comes out of your mouth, he's probably like, "That's not him." I don't think that's the case at all. Players have nicknames for each other all the time. Some we can't even say on air. Name one that's named Nikki. Uh, he's probably Italian. Probably connected in some way. Okay, but name him. Uh, Nico Siragusa. Oh, well, so now we're adding an O to it. Yeah, well, no, because it's it, Nico is his first name, but it's Nikki. Nikki Siragusa. I play football. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are thieves of joy. That's all I'm saying right now. I really hate letting facts get in the way of a good story. Oh, thank you, George. Man, Daryl Ryder, a terrible hype man for you, Nick Wilson. Anytime I go out with my buddy, I help create a realistic but over-the-top story for the cause. Thank you very much. But, I was, but I'm not the killjoy because I was never involved in the, uh, in the ruse. But here's the thing. I could have sold you as my agent. You, you could, look like an agent. You could have. And, I, and, and I, you know what? I would have played along. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Now you say it. After crapping on my story for 10 minutes, now you say it. Yeah. I was, yeah. Hypothetically, now that you've you've talked yourself into like a free Rolex from Marshall Falk, I'll take 10% of that. You're, you're, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, practice squad client of mine. See what a teammate you are. You'll set me up with Harry and Izzy's uh, insane. What are the hell? Flaming called? hot, flaming hot shrimp cocktail shrimp sauce. Shrimp cocktail sauce, but which when is it, basically when it comes the same time, stuff as it's St. Elmo's next door. To okay, wow. Just there's another thing. Just any other thing you'd like to dispel? Any other great, great ideas in American history? I don't want to say them individually in case kids are listening, but you know what I'm talking about. Don't say it on air. I won't. Don't be a ho ho ho. Nope. Let's go 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 to Anthony. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Funny by number nine. Hey guys. Um, hey, so. Uh, yeah, I'm here to conversation. You guys have switched up a little bit, but um. As hey, as Anthony, receiver, real quick, before we get to the wide receiver, would you have backed me up if Marshall Falk had asked if I had played football with him and I had said I'm your boy Nicky Dubs, the former right tackle? Would you, as a friend, have have stuck by me in that moment, and been like, you don't remember this guy? He was everywhere. Of course. Of course. That's all it took, Carol. I didn't say I wouldn't do that. I, that's exactly. You no, said. I didn't. You, you're poking <laughs> holes. Oh, you should be like the the guy that was like in camp from like May 10th I was, to I May 11th. I was 11th. giving you the storyline. That's what I was doing. I didn't say I wouldn't stand by Honestly, you. Honestly, if you're an NFL scriptwriter, you would suck. The league would be canceled like it was Freaks and Geeks in 2001. Anthony, uh, your wide receiver point now, please. <laughs> yeah, I hate to get serious now, but um, yeah, so I'm just looking at you guys are talking about the wide receivers and, and to your point or the point that you made with Patrick Mahomes and him not having uh, really a great receiving core. I looked at the Brown, I'm looking at the Browns receiving core and what Flacco did with the same guys that 
um, Watson had. And I'm not a Flacco supporter. I'm not saying that he should be here over Watson. I, I think Watson, I know in my heart, that Watson's a better quarterback than Flacco is at this point. But what I'm saying is Flacco threw for all those 300-yard games. I'm not sure it's the receivers that we need to tweak. Cedric Tillman is a great receiver, I think. Uh, I I'd, I'd hold off on the great thing first. <laughs> he might well, be a great okay, one. You know, I mean, you know, your opinion, my opinion, I, I just like him. So He's got to uh, show I, me something before I call him great. Well, well, I, well, okay, fine. I think he can be a great receiver. How about that? That's fair. So, so I'm looking at the receivers that we have, and I guess if you, if you want to add some speed, there's always room for that, but – I mean, we just got to see where this goes with a full, with a healthy Deshaun Watson and and see what he can do with the guys that we have on the team. I don't really think that we need to trade for a Mike Evans or or if you're going to draft somebody, that's fine. But I don't think we need to do any trades or anything like that for for uh, veteran guys unless they're guys are is just you know somebody you just can't refuse. But um, yeah, I, I'm looking at the receivers that we have and. Flacco did a good job with those guys, so I'm assuming Watson can do the same. So I, I would I would stand pat and go get help somewhere like offensive line. Keep keep making that uh, a strong point. Keep making your defensive backfield a strong point, and uh, you know that's where I would go with it. But it's a great story about Marshall Falk, though. Uh, anyway, hi right, buddy, appreciate you. See, that's all right. If you ever see Daryl in a foxhole next to you, find a new foxhole. That's what I'm learning from this. Wouldn't back a man up on Cedric Tillman. Um, but I don't you think can't, you give, listen. You can't call a guy a great receiver when he hasn't done anything. Okay, slight hyperbole. He had 224 yards last year. Oh, that's oh, not nothing. My bad. He, he, he eclipsed 200. 200. That was tough to say. I just I think you're unnecessarily un unfairly going after Cedric Tillman. He's a rookie. I'm not I'm, I'm not unfairly going after him. I mean, first me with Marshall Falk, now here. <laughs> I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't even know it happened. I couldn't be a wingman for you. Yeah, and because then in revisionist you allow, history, you didn't allow me to be a wingman. Re, and, for and, you. and then when we revised the story, you come back and you're like, ah, no, no, that's I not going to work. I just telling you, I would have given you a more realistic. You didn't see the life. belief in his eyes. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Cleared the way for you, man. I figured you'd remember me, Marshall. Um, in the preseason. It, uh, there were some regular season snaps there. Thank you very much. All right? No, I remember you. Yeah. You're the guy that missed the block in practice. Yeah. So oh, it almost missed. blew out my knee. Come on. You know the, the the left guy was supposed to be pulled on that one. It wasn't me. Come on. You so-and-so. Um, that's how you do it. That's how you do it right there. Keith, even though he was trying to chop block me at the knees – Still better wingman than you in that last segment. All right. Fine. I think we've officially upset him. Nope. Now, with this being said, we'll get to the other, because somebody tweeted about it. At some point in the lead up to the combine, we'll get to the other story. And we don't, don't, <laughs> don't tease it because it's my yearly, uh, it's my yearly remembrance of having to tell Vanessa, Hey, remember this funny story that, you know, everything's cool with. I have to run it by her before I make sure I talk about it on air because I like staying married. That's that story. Uh, well, and because of me? Not. Okay. Nope, don't give it away. Oh, but, you know, I, I'm just, you know, trying to reestablish my good name after you, you know, mentioned what a horrible wingman I am. Well, actually, in this case, I was a terrible wingman. Yeah. 
Yeah, you were. <laughs> Come to yeah, think you're that. starting to see <laughs> that whole <laughs> week. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Get that ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did not. Uh, <laughs> all right. Even though he should have. So with all this being said, uh, baseball spring training is here, and this next piece of sound we're going to play for you, um, not about Nico Saragusa, uh, <laughs> but this next piece of sound <laughs> Is Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon, if you guys remember, he was a big part of the the Nationals, uh, big push in the uh, the late teens, and I believe he did win the uh, the World Series with Washington, I think, in 2019, and then signed this massive like 200 million dollar deal with the Angels that offseason. And the last couple of years, it's I mean, it's just been an albatross. He's just not been able to stay healthy. When he has been healthy, he's not hit it the same way, and so. He was asked about his his mindset going into yet another season where injuries could be a factor, coming off all these injuries, and got into a conversation about baseball being a priority if baseball was a priority for him. And here's what he had to say. Is it still a top priority for you, though? That's never been a top priority for me. This is a job. So I do this to make a living. Uh, my faith, my family come first before this job. So if those things come before it, I'm leaving. Is it a priority? Oh, it's a priority for sure. This is my job. I'm here, aren't I? Do you want to be here? I don't want to talk to you guys at <laughs> seven in the morning or whatever time <laughs> it is. So, so you, I mean, do you want? I mean, do you want to like be here playing baseball? I have answered your question. So why do you keep picking at it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, you technically answered it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what an awkward <laughs> millhouse there at the end. Um. So this has generated a lot of criticism for Anthony Rendon, him saying that baseball is not a priority. Now, I think there's a very obvious reason why he's getting hammered on this and has nothing to do with whether baseball is or isn't a priority. But I think it's, I I really do think there are people cherry picking what he said, putting it in print and then hammering the guy when I don't really see, like, specific to what he said, no, my family's a priority and my faith is a priority. All the aggregators probably have their headlines. Baseball's not a priority. Well, but, like, what's crazy about it to me is, like, um, oh, my gosh. Oh, she's one of the best baseball writers. And now I I keep thinking Michelle Knight. It's not her name. Uh, if you can remember, uh, Knight, she used to work for the L.A. Times. Like, she wrote a story so on Molly. No, I. It's right there. It's. I'm so darn embarrassed because she's. I, I. She's got a Patreon now, and I, I. I actually do read her work. Um, like oh Molly. No, you are right, Molly Knight. Thank you. Um, now that I've wasted all that time getting to a friggin' name I should have had at the top of my uh, at the drop of a hat. Like even she wrote something kind of slagging Anthony Rendon about. Well, maybe you weren't the right guy to say this, and I'm sorry. Like I. I just think I, I we hold athletes to just a different standard. And I know some of this is socioeconomically why we do this. Some of this is because they play a kid's game and we think they should be ultra grateful for the opportunity that very few people get. But, like, guys, uh, I love my job. I, I skip to work every day. My family's a priority over my job. Um, like, there are things that absolutely should be ahead of any job, whether you're a player or 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 not. And and I don't understand how you hear that part of what he said and take it to like he doesn't care about that he baseball. doesn't care. And like I think it's totally okay whether it's your dream job or not to look at something as a job. And 
I think I think you start to factor in like guaranteed money and all this stuff, and you start to spin this. Well, he should be try. It should be a priority because he hasn't lived up to the contract. That's what this is about. The thing that frustrates me about this is if Anthony Rendon were, were making eight hundred thousand dollars a year on a on a vetman contract, no one would care about him saying, eh, "My family, my faith are my first priority," and then baseball and baseball is a job. But there's some there's some monetary amount that when a guy is seen as overpaid or a, a contractual bust, that people turn on him. And I'm like, guys, do you think Anthony Rendon wants to go out there? And last year he hit uh, he hit 236 with a 678 OPS, two home runs in 148 at bats. You think Andy, Anthony Rendon? You think anybody wants to go out there, make that kind of money with the pressure of a contract, and be not 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 live up to the contract? Like I I honestly I'm I'm really disappointed with how everyone's reacted to it because this idea that everybody should speak glowingly in terms of oh it's it's an honor to play for a trash ass franchise in LA who clearly does not value their players or the way they've treated other guys like Shohei Otani and Mike Trout so much so that the best player in baseball left because you're such a cheap band-aid ass organization like why do we why do why do athletes have to be better than everybody else why can athletes like if you ask the local banker hey man is banking a priority? And he said, no, my family is and my my outside career hobbies are, or my hobbies are. No one's going to be like, what a bad banker this guy is. If you ask a computer programmer, hey, man, is this your priority? No, I, I, I got a girl I really love, and I like to play guitar. In my, my Nobody nobody gives a crap about that. The job is the end of the means. Like, And you know how many paycheck players have come through Cleveland over the years? Well, like, yeah, it, it, because it's a, a job like Cleveland's not their dream destination. But obviously, while they're here, they're not going to say anything to disparage the city or disparage the fans. But yeah, it, it it's a job to them. Um, and that's OK, as long as when they're out there, they're giving their all and doing the best to do their job. There's no issue. I, I have no problem with anything he said. And. <clears throat> Let's be honest about it. The reporter there was picking the scab a little bit. Yeah. He was trying to get something. And you he, could tell he, he was annoyed. And, and Rendon, Rendon was, got yeah. hip to it. Okay. Yeah. So it's finally the point. I've answered your question. Like, yeah. why do you, why do you keep certain? No, you might not have liked the answer I gave you, but I did answer your question. I was respectful about it. And so why, why do you have to keep going back at it? But there's, there's nothing wrong with saying that baseball is not the number one priority in your life. Because if it is, then that probably tells me that your priorities in life are a little mixed up. Your family should come first, always. Well, and the assumption, I think the assumption that people are applying is that that's why his performance has right. been what that it's it, been That it equates that he doesn't care. And, and I, that's not fair. Well, and I just think that's insulting. Like, I don't think you realize how much work goes in. Like, far be it for me. I'm a fat ass that sits on my couch and I have no problem calling players bums or or slap asses or joking about that. But when it comes to guys, I don't like questioning how how hard they work without any sort of evidence. And just because he said this, I think that well, maybe if it yeah. was a priority, maybe you'd be hitting three hundred, maybe yeah, be the, earning that money. Yeah, I never like going down the effort route either because I've never played at, at that level. I can't imagine competing at that level. I can question your execution and not making a play when it was supposed to be made or you doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, but no way am I going to sit here and say, 
you're not even trying. Or, hey, except or, for if it's the NBA All-Star game. Yeah, or if you're running to, to first base. And, and you just don't, yeah, you don't run out of ground yeah, ball or something if, like that. If you uh, routinely don't show up for your job on time. Like, those are the places I think it's, oh, or honestly, we watch a guy, and I'm, I'm not trying to bring this up to in case he's less, I'm not trying to be a D, but I'm using, like, watching Jed Wills play. I can get you 50 clips of Jed Wells playing really hard for two seconds, and then the last two seconds of a play, he just kind of freezes up. And it might be a job to him. Yeah. But, like, like, I just this idea of that – I I don't know what people expect of a guy like this. It's already got to be tough enough not performing the way you're used to the last four years. It – whether we believe this or not, guys – I guarantee you the contract matters to Deshaun. I guarantee you the ma- the contract matters to this guy. When you get paid that kind of money and you're not living up to that contract, it's a kind of pressure that I don't think anyone can really – there's no one-for-one one in anybody's business that that ties into you're making $230 million over seven years and now three or four of the years have come and gone and you haven't played well enough to justify that contract. Yeah, I mean, that's why I got so upset with Brady Quinn's comments uh, last fall when he you know, called uh, Deshaun a, a trust fund player because he got his contract. First of all, Brady Quinn's the last person that should ever be calling someone a trust fund anything. Yes. Um, but, yeah, you, there are just certain things you don't do, and one of those, in, unless it's, to your point, extremely blatant and obvious. Yeah. Oh, who's the Steeler receiver that didn't even bother? He Pickens? just Yeah, Pickens. Oh, no, just, no, no, no. Was that Deontay Johnson? Claypool. <laughs> They've had a few. Antonio Brown? <laughs> We're just going to mention all the guys. <laughs> well, just, well, no, it was this year, though. Yeah, but it was yeah. this season. Like, just completely. Yeah. Half you know what the an entire uh, couple of plays during a game, and you're just watching, they're like, that guy ain't even trying. That's fair, but what... Uh, there's just certain things. Like, again, you, you can criticize results. You can criticize lack of execution. But yeah, like try, you, going you know, after the effort thing, that's, that's a very fine line. You know what's funny about and it? You, and you better be right about that. He didn't come out and say he didn't care. Right. He just said it's like, not a priority. It, my I family, did, my faith, that's priority to me. Like, I, I just, it's so weird to me the ways in which we dissect what people say and then hammer them if they don't say it perfectly. And and then also, too, when someone gets asked the question and they give you a sincere, honest answer. Yeah, exactly. And then you turn around and you use that against them. Yeah. And then if they go to the canned answer, right, the, the coach speak answer, then they the reporter's complaining yeah. because I can't get anything out of a guy because he's giving me coach speak. Well, you, you can't have it both ways. You either, you know. My standpoint, I'd rather an athlete. That's why, again, I don't like ripping athletes over things that they say in response to things because <laughs> they're they're just answering the question and they're answering it honestly. And that's all he did here. So I, like I said, I have no issue with what he said. I I credit him with uh, you know being honest about it, and also at the same time, eh, that reporter was looking to 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 dig at something there. Uh, Kevin on Twitter saying, pretty simple. Just ask anybody to prioritize the the following job, family, faith. I promise they'll say the same as Anthony did. People don't see professional sports as a job, which is absolutely ridiculous. I would agree. Jack, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Hey, uh, big big fan of the show, guys. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, buddy. Really quick, just wanted to comment, comment on the uh, the Rendome thing. And, you know, I, I, I heard the analogies you guys gave about a banker 
and, you know, all the other various styles. But I, I think – and to be clear, I do agree with what you guys are saying 100%, but I think a more compare, fair comparison would be another job that uh, you're kind of in a public eye, you know, whether on a local or national basis. So I, I guess – and not to, not to overstep boundaries here at all, but, you know, like what you guys do, for, for instance, like as somebody who wants to be in broadcasting himself, and, and like it's probably fair to say that you guys are not – you, when you go home at, at night and after after your job, you know you're not the same person when the micro when the microphone's not on, so to speak. You know you're just you have your pro, you have your priorities in line, and people have a different expectations and want this like glowing charisma and glowing enthusiasm from people who get to do something cool for a living and just so happen to be in the public eye and you know have media circling them nonstop. I mean, they were asking the question at what, 7 a.m.? Yeah, I'm just, I'm not, I'm answering the, he answered the question rather politely for, I mean, I'm not a morning guy, but I would, <laughs> I would answer the question a little less uh, politely, but yeah, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to sit here and, and I, I literally Googled his name and all the headlines are exactly what you are, what you're saying they are. It's like, he doesn't care about baseball. He's a waste of a contract, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you guys ripped all that from, him just saying that he cares more about his family than this. Like, yeah, he should. That's all I got, guys. Thanks so much. Jack, we appreciate you, buddy.